0: Transmission by me, Donald Make me an island. Hello and welcome to Make me an island of Ireland, which is, in fact, one shy of 32 counties old this episode and counting. Now, number 31 takes us stateside. We're on the East Coast. We'll be checking in with one of my favourite writers operating in the English language today of Cove and now Brooklyn, the inimitable Maeve Higgins. Then it's back over to B Plus, our man in Los Angeles, for an extended trip through the wires courtesy of his Digs from the Floor. Four parts mini DJ set from the master and three parts conversation. It all adds up to a whole heap of fun here on number 31. Before any of that, however, this Lorraine James, Bish. You never know. Yeah, because life is a glitch, right? Lorraine James is a 23-year-old part-time teaching assistant, full-time beat maker, spell spellweaver and mold breaker. For music with so few words, it's got a whole lot to say for itself. This sound is all kinds of old and yet bright and brilliantly brand new. The waves of change in electronic music ebb and flow so fast it's constantly being refreshed anew. In a once male-dominated domain, the latest wave of fresh air to reinvigorate the form comes in many colours. Lorraine James is gay, black and female. It's energy like hers that moves mountains, tectonic plates and technics decks. The new life breath that reinvents electronic music in wave after sound wave is the very thing that keeps us returning for more time after time, again and again. Now, while still stuck on that thought, I came across the name Star Feminine Band, on a new release section of an African music blog. The small hilltop town of Natingu is seven and a half thousand kilometers and three keyboard clicks away. It was there that a local radio station put out a call for free music lessons for school children in 2018. And it was out of these sessions that the Star Feminine Band were born, raised up and took flight. Normally, we found ourselves looking back on Make Me an Island. But here we get to do a 360 turn, revel in the moment and raise a toast to both the now and a brighter future. This record was only released on Friday just past. The fact that the ages of the girls range between 10 and 17 is only a fraction of the story. Their infectious blend of highlife, garage rock, Congolese rumba and Beninese sato is pure fire, so stand well back everyone. Maintenant, la musique. Women have to make music because it enables them to be emancipated from men, says lead singer Aruchi Barikapai on the cover. Star Feminine Band bring the heat. Their explosive sound is fueled by youthful passion and a whole lot of courage in their convictions. There are many ways to fight back. Making music is one sure means of weaponizing your dreams and taking the game to the front line. No prisoners taken nor holes barred. And these girls are only getting started. But when they begin, they binine. It was at this point the Make Me an Island pun factory closed its doors for good, mercifully laying off its workforce of one. Just enough time, however, to tell you that we're going to be spending extended time in LA later in the episode to link up with B Plus who has put together four short sets around which we're going to talk shop and chew some fat. We have a very important stopover to make in New York City en route to the west coast, however. Maeve Higgins' extraordinary work across comedy, literature, and cinema speaks for itself, and we were thrilled to get a chance to catch up with her and her adventures this week. She'll be along directly after this. Here is the part of the programme where we commandeer a song to speak our minds. Kamala Harris, Maeve Higgins, Lorraine James, the Star Feminine Band, you, listening, we, the men, would like you to take over now, please. Jim O'Rourke has more on the how and the why.
1: If you don't
0: Great to hear you, Maeve. How's it going?
2: Yeah, you do. Great. I didn't get a missed call. I don't know what happened, oh, but yeah. I'm here anyway.
0: Brilliant. Um, Maeve, it's so great to have you on uh, Make Me an Island. I think the last time we spoke was in 2013. In the meantime, we've <laughs> gone and conquered uh, lots of parts of the New World, including America. But it, it, And I, we can talk about the writing in a minute, but I just want to really... I suppose, take the temperature on the ground because, um, you mm-hmm. know, um, you wrote so brilliantly about the last few years. Um, it must have been as, you know, for, for I mean, we were also invested here, but to be on the ground must yeah. have been quite a thing.
2: Yeah. I, it was great to be here. Like when they, it was, it was uncomfortable, really tense being here, you know, for the past, I don't know, like few months, yeah. few years, but, um, then waiting was, was really difficult, um, but it was great to be here when, you know, got called, and yeah. just the relief. I mean, I do think it was, it's, it, here in New York, I live in Brooklyn, and it was very much like relief that Trump uh, was defeated more than excitement that Biden was elected. Yeah. And yeah. it was very much, um like, as you said, everybody was glued to it at home as well, and that's, with good reason. Like it what yeah. happens here really does like really affect really the rest of the world. Like climate and mm-hmm. you know, the US is still the richest, has the biggest military like this so this place is so um unwieldy and, you mm-hmm. know, and can be so dangerous. So it was yeah, it was it was lovely being guess- here and having this collective like kind of couple of days of just celebrating and um Relaxing, yeah. weird. Like it was, you know. We went to the park um the day before yesterday, and it was just really quiet. There was so many people there. Like also in New York at the moment, there's. It's really warm, you know. It's yeah, like I saw twenty one degrees. I, I, I it, checked the weather in my uh, research and period
0: there. Yeah, mad.
2: <laughs> um. So, like, I don't know. But, but you think. It would be like loud and stuff, but I, everyone's just like quiet. I think everyone's really tired, and yeah, and also now there's new worries about you know, will will it be okay in January? Will mm-hmm. the transition go okay? And
0: yeah,
2: so, well, the ongoing
0: yeah. the ongoing show, but I suppose um, yeah. So I was, I mean, it's really to get a sense of. I guess celebrations in anarchist jurisdictions tend to (laughs) be more keenly felt, but let's put it that way. I I was there um, in 2017 when the Muslim ban came in and and while it was a very shocking Mm -hmm. time to be around, I was really heartened by what was happening in New York and and it felt like everybody was disgusted with that. and, And it must have been like in the three years since then, one thing after another. Were there periods in there, Maeve, where uh, you felt that uh, or did you ever feel that, you know, the game is up in terms of where you're living and, and you know, did it ever feel that severe?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a few moments definitely like, you know, the the ban was upheld eventually, like version three was upheld by the Supreme Court. So mm-hmm. that's going to be one of the first things Biden does is undo that ban. So yeah. like what was kind of interesting to to watch was, you know, this administration just getting better at politics. And so they, they kept trying with that ban, right? Yeah. Like it would be, you know, shot down and then it would come back. So, and in the end they were successful. Like, you know, there's yeah. a number of countries that are banned. Um. So yeah, it was, more like a slow creep. I don't think there was like exact times when I was thinking, hmm, because yeah. like it's weirdly um it's weirdly like mesmeric as well to live here and to yeah. watch it happening and to um yeah like obviously because I write about it I feel like I want to be here and yeah. I want to understand it and I'm very invested and have so many relationships here. Yeah. Um and I write a lot about immigration which has been in complete turmoil so it's Mm -hmm. kind of like for work reasons and personal reasons i'm i'm keen to like stay and see it through um but then like i did i was kind of surprised myself even that i just the minute the (laughs) pandemic started to um take hold here i was like on on a flight back to ireland you know so maybe when it comes down to it like that was my choice.
0: I mean, it was. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. hard to know really. Uh, and, and actually, I refer <laughs> people to the New York Times pieces, all of them. But th- that there's that uh, one in particular, which really was wonderful to read uh, your, your, when you were actually just back home at the beginning of lockdown. I mean, all the pieces, Maeve. Look, uh, <laughs> on, on, on the writing, when it comes to the writing, right, um, I suppose... Uh, there's a level of bravery in there, which, you know, having followed your career up until, 20, or, you know, when you moved to America, um, it wasn't surprising to see you, you know, uh, show the same courage, but there's so much else going on. And in so many of the pieces, it feels like, uh, yeah, I'm just checking about, is that the same bravery? Or is it a kind of noticeably different feeling? Or, or you know?
2: Um, I mean, I think... I think, honestly, like I'm in a really good position here where I don't feel like that I need to use courage or be brave, honestly, because I think I'm a white person living in the U.S. I'm very safe, and um, I can, I also have this advantage, I think, of having this outsider perspective, yeah. right, Donald, where like growing up in Ireland, it's kind of hard to see the woods for the trees at home. Yeah. Like, it's like what does this actually mean but there's some clarity when you're not American and but Mm -hmm. you're living here so things like I wrote about um, immigration court here which is pretty much open to the public it's a bit tricky they make it hard but like you can go in and sit in immigration court which is quite a shocking spectacle Mm -hmm. and like I use that word deliberately like it's theatrical in its cruelty like the you know people are shackled they're in orange jumpsuits and they're very cowed and um like anyway so I went and reported on that and like that didn't really take courage it was just more like oh I this is happening this in downtown Manhattan Mm
3: -hmm. you know this is like
2: (laughs) not this kind of hidden thing so I think I'm kind of lucky that I you know that's I'm able to do that and that I, and and that I notice stuff like that.
0: Oh God. And we're lucky that you do and that you're in that position. And I think it's a big factor being the outsider because, you know, in there, right. Is that voice that, that (laughs) again, I kind of refer back to, you know, uh, before uh, you moved there, and, and knowing your work then, but I, I just I'm amazed that that you've kept that so consistent. It's it's really amazing, but like just on terms of the work on the ground that you've had to do or would be doing with the reporting pieces, right? So, um, so that the piece that you wrote actually about um the uh, immigration customs enforcement, and uh, you went to the border security exposition, right? Did that happen in, in San Antonio? Is that right?
2: Yeah. So that was just in March. So I wrote about that. I think it was in the Guardian and um, I went there cause I'm working on a book. So I was going to use it for an essay in the book. I think I still will. And I didn't, um, so they have this, it's like a big uh, border security conference and they have it in Texas. Um, and you, you know, it's industry and it's, um, government and, and also they they swap around a lot like the same names would be on different boards or mm-hmm. you know like they're in government and then they're in business and so um, and it, it's all organised by the Department of Homeland Security and like I was at that conference and it was kind of like as wild as you'd expect it to be it's also an expo so they sell you know like um, drones Anti drones, um, yeah. dog kennels, like uh, anything and everything, infrared technology, like different um, paint that you put on fences to, like, so people will slip if they try. You know, yeah, all that. Kind everything of a paranoid and society then,
0: would want in there, in, their, <laughs> in their Yeah, arsenal. I mean, it's so
2: <laughs> it's so militarized. Yeah. like oh, the good. border is so. But anyway, I, when I was there, just like the second week in March, and then. At the same time, the same Department of Homeland Security were were in New Rochelle in New York, like because that was the first outbreak um, mm-hmm. here in in the US. And so one arm of them was in New Rochelle, you know, in full like hazmat suits trying to do contact tracing for like patient zero. Mm-hmm. And then another arm was down where I was at this big conference center slapping each other in the back no masks, no distancing, like sharing bagels. And I was sort of like, oh God, like Mm -hmm. they're so incompetent and this is like not, you know, Mm -hmm. it was just so in your face. Um, So, yeah.
0: The the, the, the two sides of America has so many different faces, right? But just just in terms, Mm -hmm. again, just sticking with the writing for a minute, uh, Maeve, like the, the grotesque theatrical nature of this administration and with the ultimate uh, grotesque at the head of the thing, but also several other things, like when you take into account, you know, William Barr and and all of that, and I Mm. I don't know if... I know you've written about him as well, but just the thing is actually, there is a point about him that like among the many, many awful things that he's done, uh, probably up there with the worst of them is uh, playing the bagpipes as opposed to the illin pipes. But um, <laughs> um, anyway, do not Google William Barr and bagpipe, please, nobody do that. <laughs> but just in terms of, of of the sheer, oh, the chaos, the comedy, the tragedy, the crazy stuff that's been happening in terms of, it's, it's you know yeah. a good time to be a writer. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I I mean, there is that, you know, thing. There is the issue that, like, satire isn't really possible because it's so ludicrous already. Like, certainly yeah. the Four Seasons total landscaping oh, just God. had us Whoa. all just dying. Like, it's a gift, you know? Yeah. Um, Beautiful so, coda. So, I mean, I think... <laughs> gorgeous. <laughs> um, and I think that the role that I've seen anyway in the past few years is more, like, to provide distraction and comfort and community and kind of um, like, you know, the daily show, all those guys and like, I mean, John Stewart and Mm -hmm. John, all they're all John, John, whatever. They like all, you know, were like hammering away during the Obama years and like, they get so much credit, but it's like, they haven't really helped that much. Like I, I used to think, you know, like, Oh, comedy is a weapon. And it's like, Important and it's you know, but I I still think it's important, but not in that way. Like I don't think it's got um, you know, like comedians like we love to be like oh the jester tells the truth in to the to the king, (laughs) but like I just don't buy it. Like yeah, and and obviously it's also you know it's like so male and so chauvinist and like so. Yeah. Um, right. so yeah I've been like my relationship with comedy is kind of changing as well Yeah. now I just love really stuff and silly stuff and like we made Extraordinary which is like a spooky
0: yeah.
2: comedy film and I was so thrilled it doesn't have a message like we're not trying to do anything <laughs> except just like yeah show people a good time <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> you know yeah. so I mean I don't like give Trump credit for that but I do you know maybe it's just like getting older too or like i've been in the comedy worlds for like so long yeah and um, that i can just i just know it better now and i have no time for like i think something that really turned me off was this whole you know we speak the truth and then once like disempa- formerly disempowered and not listen to people were able to say oh i disagree then like the comics got really and quiet and mad and so I was like kind of like oh that's not interesting (laughs) like you're not so it doesn't really hold much interest to me anymore um, when, it,
0: when it comes to, uh, we'll say, the act of writing uh, an opinion editorial piece for the New York Times, Maeve, just in terms of the amount of time, uh, has that changed over the years where, you know, I mean, you know, from my own limited experience of, of writing opinion pieces, there's just so much involved in that, right? Um, but, like, in the, in the physical time sense, what would be the kind of rough sort of time frame for putting a piece like that onto the page? Uh-
2: I mean it depends like if if I you know I have some things that I kind of like work away on myself for ages and then and they're not really like tied to the news cycle and so that can be you know I could just have it on my laptop and it'd be a piece that I think of a line for here and there for I don't know like for a couple of years you know and then but then there's things that happen quickly like um you know, the last thing was my editor said, oh, the, the anarchist jurisdiction thing. Oh, yeah, a fantastic, and so that, a fantastic you know,
0: piece. Yeah. So,
2: oh, thank you. Um. Yeah. So that was just a couple of days turnaround, you know. Um, yeah. So it kind of depends. Uh, and as well, like, I would say, you know, I'm lucky to write for them because they have really good, like, fact-checkers yeah, and right. editors yeah. who, like, make, make my writing better, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It's kind of a good, they're like a good outlet to work for. Like others, others are, you can get your you can get your opinion out and that's, you know, obviously like I have a compulsion to do that, mm-hmm. but they don't really edit or like, it's just mm-hmm. like, okay. Yeah,
0: I, you go, you I, know. I, I keep getting in closer to the pieces themselves, but let's say that one that you wrote when you were at home. I mean, there's <laughs> just, there's bits in there that are just so fabulously you know, comedic and I, I suppose when I was talking about bravery, I think that that's, that's brave to keep your own voice or, you know, I mean, I suppose I'm speaking from the outside. I'm, I'm asking you a question about, you know, finding your own voice, but like, it's just so true to hear it.
2: Oh, well, I really appreciate that, Donald. Thank you. And like, I think that, you know, I, I, I do think it's important, um, for whatever work you're doing like, even if it's um, comedy writing, you know, or if it's straight journalism, to understand that, like, you have a point of view and yep. to understand that, like, you know, this is a person writing this thing. And I think it's only fair in that case to include, it sounds like, like New York here, your... Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry hey, Maeve. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> keep going it's like so
2: quiet here it sounds yeah, like I've been yeah. cold <laughs> uh,
0: but yeah for, keep going there Maeve sorry for interrupting
2: well I just think I just think that like to be fully honest in your writing it's important to include um, joy to include funniness yeah. mm-hmm. and levity because that's what our day-to-day is like nobody yeah. is all serious and sad and down and a victim like mm-hmm. the when I think about it like that I think it's actually important to include comedy because that's more true to life it's mm-hmm. more honest writing mm-hmm. um so yeah like I think as well um you know it does kind of help the medicine go down like I don't want to be one of those um non-fiction-
4: writers
0: who's kind of just like preaching because brilliant.
2: <laughs> you know don't want that like yeah you, you don't know want that. Yeah. I don't want to read that and I don't but, want okay, to like just, be that just,
0: person just on the person of who you want to be as a writer right but when it comes to like the word opinion and that I mean where would you say you had an opinion all the way through when you were in school or how you know how does that kind of where did that you know what I mean how do you feel about that word
2: yeah, I mean, so I loved, like, George Orwell when I was a teenager yeah. and his, you know, obviously 1984, but also, like, down and out in Paris and London, mm. and he, um, and, like, his, his record of, like, he fought in the Spanish Civil War, and yeah. I just take writing advice from him very seriously, and he's very much like, do not pretend to be objective. Like, yeah. you can be wrong, but be... be honest be truthful and I'm misquoting him here but like basically he was saying yeah um his own writing whether it be fiction or non-fiction or reporting or whatever he's doing like he was very much like be come out come out and say what you stand for and Mm -hmm. so writing is also an act of like thinking so it's kind of a way to figure out what you stand for and I think anyway that like I've probably written things in the past and now I'd have a different opinion on, um, and that's okay, like, that's fine. Or people will argue with me and they won't agree with me and I just have to go with, like, that's okay, like, that's Mm -hmm. no problem.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, Because I just don't want to be fall fake. (laughs) So from, yes, from a teenager, I think, to to now, you know, 26 years old, I'm still like, uh, I'm still like in the Orwell school of yeah. just being straight with people, and yeah. and part of that actually is like including humor, and and just including my my opinion, and like yeah. I think it's it's funny because people sometimes people find it easier to dismiss when you do that, and you know, but I think that's also like that's also okay because that will happen to me anyway, like being female, like being, you know, yeah. that already happened. So I'm just like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to keep going and I'm also going to like pay attention to voices that I might have dismissed in the past, yeah. you know? Um, And that's been really important, like for me living here, especially understanding like different, um like, i don't know like just different groups of people and mm-hmm. who has the power and who doesn't have the power and yeah. how how the power um, like reproduces itself in ways that that like you might miss yeah. and then suddenly you you see it if you're yeah. paying attention sure. um so in my reading too and in who i choose to listen to um you know i think that comes back out in my writing where i'm i find strength in my own voice by actually like listening to other people's, you know, and, and like, I don't just mean writing. I mean, obviously, I mean art and music and Mm -hmm. just conversations and communities and who gets to kind of, um, make culture and, you know, make Mm -hmm. the rules. Like Mm -hmm. that's so, that's so important, you know, to me to pay attention to that stuff, you know?
0: Sure. I mean, I think it it was in one of your essays about the powerful and the powerless and, and it's that kind of play between both things that, you know, in, including everything that you've just said there. Um, the, the George Orwell uh, quote, it's in your article, uh, it's from his essay, Why I Write. Every line of serious work that I have written since 1936 has been written directly mm-hmm. or indirectly against totalitarianism and for democratic socialism, mm-hmm. as I understand it. It seems to me nonsense in a period like our own to think that one could avoid writing about su- of such subjects, <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. sums it up. Um, and I think so beautifully put, um, Maeve, so I suppose, I mean, it must be at this point having, how many years is it now on the ground, in, 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 is it nine years?
2: um yeah, nine, I think. Eight or nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: eight or nine
2: yeah yeah eight or nine yeah
0: and um so what can we expect next then in terms of of the writing it's actually
2: weird that i can't remember how long i've lived here for but yeah, yeah i think it's going to be nine in january um yeah yeah so like um i'm working on another book that I'm hoping to hand in soon yeah. but I'm you know like every well like a lot of us I'm procrastinating and that you know punishing myself in weird ways and stuff for yeah. not doing it so I'm just trying to get that done um and that's another book for Penguin here in the US um and then I'm finishing a master's as well which has been really interesting and really cool here at the at CUNY Graduate Center um yeah. so I have another I've got one more semester of that. So um yeah, yeah those are kind of the two things that I'm doing um <laughs> that are like that I'm thinking about the most.
0: Oh <laughs> well, just hang on a 2nd <laughs> I'll just get my jaw from the floor there. Um <laughs> the masters. So what's Why? the what, what's the title of the masters you're doing?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you're such a nerd. Yeah.
0: Um
2: so I'm actually doing migration migration studies okay. and uh, it's just like a two year program. And Amazing. it's, you know, yeah, yeah, I would recommend, you know, I sort of can't believe it like, how, how, I, w- I actually would say easy, like, not in a, like, I'm so brilliant way, but you're really engaged with something. Because, um, yeah. like, I'd be writing about it and reading about it anyway. And mm-hmm. then I thought, like, oh, I need more rigor in my thought processes and I need someone to, like, help me learn.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and so learning to like learn and to think clearer i think college has been really good for that cuz i didn't do i didn't do like a an undergrad degree you know so yeah. i was really lucky to um to get in here like cuz they they took my work experience into account
4: Fantastic. and they let
2: me into the program yeah
4: um
2: and so yeah i think going back to college in your 30s like i would or older yeah. i would really recommend it because or going to college in your thirties or older, because um, it's just been such a privilege, and like I can feel my brain like yeah growing yeah school <laughs> it, isn't it's isn't cool. it the case
0: though, and and it, you've mentioned it as well in terms of you know what you what you're writing about is that like as as you're if you're learning you're growing, and you know it's a it's a, a surefire way of doing it is to go back and do a masters. Or do a master's. Yeah, Yeah.
2: like, I I don't think it's, I don't think it's, like, necessary if you want to understand the world or if you want to, you know, like, do something like I'm doing, which is writing for different outlets and, you know, having opinions things. I don't think it's necessary. Like, I I was doing that before I went back, but this was more personal for me. Certainly, I think, Donald, part of it was, like, I wanted to check that I was, you know, up there and like that I was going the right way, Mm -hmm. you know, and having all these professors and also peers who work in all these different areas and Mm -hmm. who have all different experience to me, like having access to this intellectual community, which literally, um, I'll tell you actually how I got into it was they were doing a conference here in, um, and it was about like Irish and American reproductive rights and one of the girls asked me to moderate a panel just a couple of years ago. Um, and it was, you know, Irish and American women discuss how we can help each other and, you know, the similarities and differences um, between like abortion rights and all this. And afterwards, um, this woman was talking to me and I didn't know, but she's like the dean of the Graduate Center. And we were chatting and she said, oh, so. Oh, okay you live here blah blah and she said, where's your intellectual community and like I started laughing you know because <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought it was such a like earnest
4: yeah.
2: thing to say and like I had never thought about that before and yeah. um and like I mean we all have one right it's the people that we talk to about ideas that's sure, all that yeah. Means.
0: yeah absolutely um, there's
2: a there's a there's but, words for it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but I just felt like a bit embarrassed, and then later I was thinking about it. I was like, Maeve, why were you embarrassed? Like you love that world, and like mm-hmm. you, you long to think about ideas, and you, that's what you since you're Absolutely. since I was small. Like I've yeah. read and thought and write, and I think it's a really big part of being a person.
4: Yeah.
2: Um. <laughs> so she had given me her card, so I emailed her saying like. Um, remember what you were saying about like an intellectual community like yeah, yeah. how do I get one <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> so that was like kind of what led me led me into applying and then the very, like it's just been such a, like such a privilege wow. such a treat like Beautiful. to just be in a class and yeah. be told what to read mm. and then like um have this outlet to like discuss it and argue and um you know just to to learn
0: yeah to learn to grow yeah i mean and and also mm-hmm. i mean it feeds very much into all the other pursuits that you have been you know the, that you've been taken that you've been you know the writing it's it's mutually uh, beneficial there both activities
2: yeah absolutely yeah yeah i mean it's a bit frustrating sometimes because the academic world i think is not accessible enough. And mm-hmm. they have all this, like what I think is such valuable information. And I'm kind of like, you need to disperse this, like via the media or via how, you know? And mm-hmm. um, so sometimes it's a bit like the two worlds don't really match up, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's been really, um, it's been, it's been good for my writing. And it's been, it's also made me have more um, confidence that like in my, in my um assertions, yeah. you know, because yeah. I, can I just can um back them up and yeah. like
4: mm-hmm.
2: I you know sometimes I read things don't all the people just throw out there and it's just like I don't mean like the blatant falsehoods or like mm-hmm. the false narratives like created by like right-wing politicians or whatever I mean just like writers journalists who yeah. Yeah. need to fill a page or whatever and it's like don't so like true. Don't. so true so Now I'm like, okay, well, I can at least, you know, I have this to back me up.
0: Oh, brilliant, Maeve. It's a heartening story and uh, I'm not surprised. Listen, (laughs) let's go back to the dogs before we uh, finish. Like the one thing about uh, the new uh, administration is that Major Biden and Champ and Major, Major Biden (laughs) is going to be the first rescue dog in the White House. Why is this making me feel so good? (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's funny isn't it some yeah like some were like um oh my god like jill biden's the first italian-american woman in the wild. <laughs> like oh god and then it was like oh my god they're the first dogs yeah, in know, the house oh but um look
4: <laughs> i think
2: those dogs are so big and unwieldy and funny looking yeah like they're yeah. big shepherds aren't they yeah and, big like, shepherds uh, <laughs> they're from the pound, you know, and now they're going to be. I'm imagining kind of a um, <laughs> mansion, like you know, they'll have silver plat, like silver yeah platters, and like chopped up just boiled chicken, and like they'll just have this dreamy life. Oh, no, I'm I'm delighted, and like. It is chilling that Trump doesn't have a dog. Yeah, like of course also he doesn't have a dog. also said something
0: that about like how would I be? I couldn't be seen to be walking a dog, uh, you know, on the lawn. Like that wouldn't look good. I mean, that says everything. <laughs> I not yeah? Look, I don't want to. keep uh, We've already gone. Like I've taken ten minutes of extra of your life, maybe. But I just think Mary <laughs> Trump is wonderful as well, isn't she? She's a wonderful lady. The the
4: oh, the, she's uh, such a legend. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's
2: what you want. You want like um. You know, a middle-aged woman who's like... Turned her back on her toxic family, who has yeah. a straight crease and colored glasses. It's just like yeah, yes. and,
0: and can back it up as well. You know, with with studying, you know, I mean, it's just the I mean the, the the horror when he when she went and did uh, you know psychotherapy in in uh, in university. It was like this is going to come back and bite uh, Donald. But um, no, I mean the dog situation. Yeah. it's just uh, <laughs> we we have a president who has two big dogs, um, and it's yeah. It's going to be the same in Ars Luke on and the White House now.
2: Oh yeah, um, two amazing. Wait, dogs. didn't one of his dogs die?
0: Oh god, no. I don't know. Yeah, maybe.
2: I could be wrong. I mean, yeah. I thought it, this. I often dream about Michael D. Higgins, and I think, but I do think that one of his dogs died, oh. but I'm not sure. Oh yeah, hopefully. hopefully
0: not. You have to fact check that one. Um, no, I, I, <laughs> I have a tiny small dog. I think maybe I've told this before, and I think, but I have a tiny small dog called Cora, but she. One time we were walking outside the perimeter of uh, Sanook Uchturan and, and Michael D uh, was on the other side with the two dogs and, uh, oh and there, was a, there was a to-do across the moat, you know, like the thing of like uh, Michael D laughing, me laughing, dogs barking, of course <laughs> shouting at the presidential dogs, like get over here, uh, I'll get over there, i will got to twist your necks, all this sort of <laughs> stuff, right? But I had this thought, right, it's just such a beautiful country, but I had this thought that if this happened in America, I would be shot dead, I'd be shot in <laughs> In the neck, you know what I mean? Wouldn't you? If you got that close with your dog to the president's dog, you know? um, Yeah, you...
2: De- you would not make it out of there no yeah way. that would have been Across a very lawn. sad and
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> truly american situation i
0: know i know but anyway <laughs> luckily um that's what divides us mave it's been such a pleasure talking to you and uh good luck with uh, we'll be keeping i i once again refer people there's um to all of your writing and your articles thank and you, and, you uh, know thank that you so i much.
2: just love the podcast i was thrilled for it to come back again i couldn't believe my luck and i just get so much new music from you i get so much kudos because i pass (laughs) it on (laughs) and i always say yeah it's an irish dj and they say okay well i guess i'll try it and then everyone is always blown
0: Oh, it's amazing, so Thanks fun. so much. Hands yeah. across the Atlantic. No, you're the best. Uh, um, and Dave, yeah, listen, I'm gonna, we're going to go across to the, to the West Coast to uh, the original uh, B-plus now, and he's actually going to open uh, his set with um, Mr. Tapscott from uh, Texas Fire Space. Maeve, thank you so much. Thank you for
2: like.
1: We must love black people. 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 We must love.
3: is detrimental, paralyzing my thoughts Parasites in my stomach keep me with a gut feeling, y'all Gotta see how I'm chilling once I park this luxury car Hopping out, feeling big as Mutombo 20.06, Donny Marcellus called me Dumbo 20 years ago, can't forget, now I can lend him my ear or two How to stack these residuals tenfold The liberal concept that men do 20.06, he didn't hear me Indigenous African, only spoke Zulu. My American tongue was smeared. Walked out the gas station, a homeless man with a 7010 tan complexion. Asked me what 10 ran, stressing about dry land. Deep water, powder, of blue skies that crack open. A piece of crack that he wanted. I knew he was smoking, he begged and Asked me to feed him twice, I didn't believe it. Told him, beat it. Contributed money just for his pipe, I couldn't see it. He said, My son, temptation is one thing that I've defeated. Listen to me, I want a single bill from you. Nothing less, nothing more. I told him I didn't have it, then closed my door. Tell me how much a dollar cost. I tried to leave but something told me to keep it in park until I could see the reason why he was mad at a stranger like I was supposed to save him like I'm the reason he homeless and asking me for a favor he's staring at me his eyes follow me with no laser he's staring at me I noticed that his stare is contagious cause now I'm staring back at him feeling some type of disrespect if I could throw a bat at him hit would be aiming at his neck I never understood someone begging for goods asking for a hand I was taking it if they could and this particular person just had a down back, staring at me for the longest Until he finally asked Have you ever opened up Exodus 14? A humble man is all that we ever need Tell me how much a dollar cost Me. I never met a transient that demanded attention They got me frustrated, indecisive, and power-tripping Sour emotions got me looking at the universe different I should distance myself, I should keep it relentless My selfishness is what got me here, who the fuck I'm kidding? So I'ma tell you like I told the last bum, crumbs and pennies I need all of mine. And I recognize this type of handling all the time. I got better judgment. I know when niggas hustling. Keep in mind, when I was struggling, I did compromise. Now I comprehend. I smell grandpa's old medicine reeking from your skin. Moonshine and gin, nigga, you babbling. Your words ain't flattering. I'm imagining Denzel be looking at because 'cause I'm in sad thrills. Your gimmick is mediocre. The jig is up. I seen you from a mile away losing focus, and I'm insensitive and I lack empathy. He me and said, your potential is bittersweet. I looked at him and said, every nickel is mine to keep. He looked at me and said, know the truth, it'll set you free. You're looking at the Messiah, the Son of Jehovah, the higher power, the choir that spoke the word, the Holy Spirit, the nerve of Nazareth, and I tell you just how much a dollar cost. The price of happiness, bought in heaven, embrace your loss, I am God. I washed my hands, I said, my grace, what more do you want from me?
5: Tears of a cloud. Guess I'm not all what it's meant to be Shades of grey will never change if I condone Turn this page, help me change, to right my wrong we
0: to welcome back brian cross we, we know him uh as b plus and uh i was hoping be that we could maybe pick up on our chat that we had earlier in the summer uh but uh in very generous style yeah, you've put together four sets for us and uh digs from the floor i know that floor and uh, it's an exceptional place for the uh, record <laughs> digger to be <laughs> so thanks very much and welcome to the show by the way
6: uh thank you man i'm happy to be here happy yeah. to share some digs from the floor
0: so yeah uh, we, we 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 ended up there with unfamiliar enough territory with Kendrick and the Freestyle Fellowship. But starting off, right, I have to declare at the outset that yesterday was the first day that I got into Horace Tapscott, who uh, opened the show um, from Texas via space. I had no idea. Uh, tell us more there, B.
6: So the this first set, I was just kind of... Um, I was just thinking about L.A., man. I, I, you know, it's been a long time since I've spent this much time continuously in los angeles and uh you know I've, I've been working on a number of projects that you know put me here basically so and obviously covid did a damn good job of <laughs> making sure i didn't get to leave yeah um and i was just sort of thinking back on on my beginnings here you know what i mean like the, uh i did some work with father Amdi from the watts prophets that's that tiny little. Yep. Uh, spoken word thing off the top. And then um, Horace was somebody who, you know, he's really kind of an extraordinary figure in that he left the music industry to um, to come back into the community. And then, you know, in the early 60s uh, started this organ. Well, several organizations, uh, the Pan-African People's Orchestra, as you heard here, um, but also this uh, another organization called UGMA, Mm-hmm. Just the Universal Gods and Artists Association. I for, I forget now. I'm 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 doing a bad job of remembering the actual yeah. acronym. But, um, but Horace was somebody that I met, um, when I was first, you know, doing it's not about a salary, and he's mm-hmm. a very funny cat, and and you know it's only it's 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 one of those weird things where you meet somebody and you become friends with somebody and you know you go,
3: hey B what's going on
6: man you know and you become friends with them and then and then to me you know he was part of in my mind my sort of unsophisticated mind at that time I didn't really you know it was like that's the jazz that I haven't quite figured out yet mm-hmm. it was in that category you know um you know he he used to you know he he would put things into the piano um the orchestra was very, you know, it was very, very uh, ambitious, um, but it was also a, a, like a community project, a kind of vocational community project, where he would he would have these open rehearsals on a Sunday, and anybody could show up, and he would encourage people to bring songs, wow. and you you know there was a choir, and you didn't need to be able to sing to be in it, and there was an orchestra, and you didn't have to be the greatest musician of all time to play in it, and. He's just sort of an extraordinary figure. Uh, he started this thing called the World Stage. But he also, you know, recorded with the Freestyle Fellowship, was mm-hmm. kind of a mentor to the Freestyle Fellowship. Um, very close friends with Don Cherry, who, who, you know, when he would come back to town, would always go see him. Mm-hmm. Um, friends growing up with Eric Dolphy. Um, and he's just a kind of father figure, really, for all of us. Um, for those of you that are interested uh, there's a record label now, a new record label set up by, you know, Horace passed away in the early 2000s. Um, and then Michael Sessions uh, took over the orchestra. Um, and now uh, Michael Sessions' son, Michaela, has taken over the orchestra. And they've started a label for putting out a lot of the material because Horace left the industry for good. I mean, he didn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't. Uh, his divorce from the industry was pretty absolute and his commitment to the community, likewise, was absolute. So not a lot of the material has been released. I mean, there are some albums. There's definitely, there's a, 10 volumes of him playing piano solo, but on a pretty obscure label called Nimbus. And, um, but anyway, uh, Michaela and the new um, kind of group of youth that are either directly related to the orchestra or whatever have have, you know, reinvigorated it started a record label and have started to put out with all the new interest in sort of spiritual jazz and the kind of you know art experiments the black arts of the of the 70s and 80s that was you know even 60s 70s 80s that was largely has been neglected um and and the new interest in it um they've started to put out music and it's actually amazing Mm -hmm. um i had it in my pile of things to to put in the mix but Twenty minutes goes
0: quick as I realise. <laughs> Especially playing songs that are like ten minutes long. Yeah, a um, lot a good stuff stayed on the floor there. Um, what the what stuff left on the floor. what was that amazing um, Watts Choir piece in in the middle there?
6: Um, let me look. Have a look. So the the thing with the children is yeah. that what you're talking about? Yeah, the yeah, Edith Hill. Yeah, that Edith Hill record is really a strange and beautiful thing. Um, Edith Hill, as far as I can tell, is a singer, jazz singer from Los Angeles, and her group is called Sella. And she did this record called Symposium: The Children, where she got a a group of African American kids together and made a choir, and then taught them songs, and then they, the band plays around them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a there's a number of experiments like this uh, um, happening, you know, in in the '60s, uh, not not least in in Los Angeles. I'm thinking even of the there's an Archie Shep record called Attica Blues, actually, mm-hmm. which is where they got their got their name from. and 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 I think it's his daughter on there singing. Um, so those kinds of experiments were happening. But this song is just it's about l a it's about l a. And it's just for me, it's just like, you know, I mean, there's such a strong community here. and l a is one of those cities that sadly, I don't know. people, you know the 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 image that people get into their head when you say Los Angeles, is so much stronger in many respects than what the reality of Los Angeles is, yeah. and sadly, the reality of Los Angeles is actually a lot more interesting mm-hmm. um, than palm trees and Hollywood and whatever mm-hmm. version Venice Beach version that people get. And um, and that record really is a like the Horace Tapscott in many respects, but is a is another kind of reminder of 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 the kind of Los Angeles that we live in. You know, going from the kind of freeways and palm trees to you know, working men and, you know, difficult lives. And mm-hmm. and somehow she managed to put all that in the song and have kids sing it, which is just, like, it's just too good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, obviously this isn't dance floor music, but um, this well, is the we'll, kind of stuff when I'm at the house, you know. Yeah,
0: we'll <laughs> get to the dance floor in a little while, though. We will. We will. <laughs> so uh, Bobby Hutchison Hurch- was next, uh, Derby.
6: Yeah, Bobby Hutcherson and Harold Land for me is one of the great Los Angeles duos. Um they made a series of records for um, Blue Note in starting in like the early 70s and going to like really re- to the late 70s actually. Um but when you see both of them together on a record just buy it. Mm-hmm. You know, for all you 101 diggers out there, you know, you see one of a uh, Bobby Hutcherson and Harold Land record for cheap, just buy it. Um I know I did when I was starting out. I would, you know, I was like, "Oh, this looks cool." Mm-hmm. Of course, then I found out that these are proper LA heads. And you, you know, the thing to understand is that there wasn't very many um, uh, really advanced um, African American music teachers per se in the mo- in the kind of strictest sense of what a music teacher would be, like somebody employed by the public school system. Um, The main one really is a guy called Sam Brown, and Sam Brown would have taught and would have been a mentor to Horace Tapscott, but he also would have taught Bobby Hutcherson and Harold Land. And uh, ah, what a fountain of, of 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 creativity that came out of, you know, those, the, you know, Dexter Gordon, Roy Ayers, Chico Hamilton, you know, and it just goes on and on and on right down to today, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was just happy to, I had that record nearby. I mean, earlier in the summer, At the beginning of COVID, I spent a lot of time digging into records, those Blue Note records of that era. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a later one, but of the uh, sort of early 60s when Bobby Hutchison would have gone to New York. But they would have had like Billy Higgins, who's from L.A. They would have had Bobby Hutchison, but also Joe Henderson, Andrew Hill. And it was kind of a period where like everybody played on everybody else's records. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's like sort of 20 or 30 records there where the band is more or less the same. It's just a different person's name on the cover. Right. And uh, those, uh, that era. Wow. Really? So, so I had the Bobby Hutchinson, Harold Land. And of course, politically it kind of worked. I mean, the song's called black heroes Mm -hmm. and, I just was like, "Yeah, you got We got to put that in there somehow." Oh, yeah.
0: I, I should say there. at this point that um, if you're wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can probably look at the picture that accompanies it, and there'll be pictures of those digs from the floor in the four parts. So you'll see the covers. Um, where 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 do we go after that? Actually,
6: mm, the next record is Kendrick.
0: Oh, the Kendrick. Oh, yes. Yeah,
6: uh, and that's how much a dollar co- how much a is worth. Yeah, which is a collaboration between um, Kendrick. And it's produced by Terrace Martin and Joseph Lamberg. I'm sorry, I'm having my toast and tea here, Donald.
0: <laughs> <laughs> man, one man's dinner is another man's breakfast. Uh, that's the I mean, f- f- fire away there. So... Um, it's a breakfast meeting, you know, LA is yeah, famous for them, right?
6: That, that's my favorite song on that album. Yeah. A- an album which has a lot of amazing music on it, which to me, if I was given out the Pulitzer Prize, that's the album I would have given it to, but... Yeah. Um, you know, Kendrick is a really, really, really stunning original writer, yeah. performer, and the team around him was really some interesting people. Um, mm-hmm. Harris is, you know, also from the same uh, root, in a sense that you know, Terrence was taught by somebody who was taught by he was taught by Reggie Andrews, who was taught by Sam Brown. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. So you know,
6: you're you really <laughs> the thread here is is solid. Yeah, and. And then the other guy, the other producer is Joseph Leinberg. and Joseph lives very close. And believe it or not, was at CalArts Arts with me when I was at CalArts. Okay. Joseph was the when we do, do, do we used to do jazz appreciation class. I remember. Um, and Plautus used to. I just kind of you, uh, he, the
0: jazz appreciation class, not the yeah. image I have a school.
6: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I it blew me. I mean, you know, to go from NCAD. Yeah. And to show up at Arts and be like, yeah, if you want to do study jazz history or whatever, yeah, we'll cool. just go take the class. And uh, yeah. I'm there, you know, kind of freaking out, like, damn, this is wow. How much music? You know, I remember, um, I think I was there the day that it was announced that Miles Davis had died. And I think we just spent the whole class just listening to one record. I don't remember what yeah. it was. But James Newton was amazing. And Joe was like the, you know, the head. Basically, yep. and uh, he was in a group afterwards, which I ended up photographing, and we became friends, and and we've always stayed in touch, you know. Um, his his most recent record, you know, uh, uh, that came out, I, d- I did some photos around it. He's just an amazing guy, and and uh, he, he he produced that track with Kendrick, but yep. many people were on that record. I mean, Kamasi was on that record, Thundercat was on that record, you know. So it's it's again, it's part of the same river, yeah, um, that runs back to these. Los Angeles uh, music teachers, music, you know, proper pedagogues, proper folks that were yeah. looking after the tradition, basically. And, you know, the questions that they were posing in the, you know, that Sam Brown was thinking about in the 50s. Yeah. You know what I mean? People like uh, uh, Kendrick and Kamasi and Thundercat are answering those questions now in the 2020s. You know yeah. what I mean? And to me, that's just like, that's the kind of art I'm interested in making. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, how do you build things that answer questions for folks in the future you know that's like wow <laughs> you
0: know I mean? yeah that's so,
6: proper and then the last the last joint which is you know it's a kind of full circle for me is like you know the first people that i i i was in contact with when i was in when i came here really when i started the project which became it's not about a salary war the watts profits mm-hmm. and the freestyle fellowship and the free that that freestyle fellowship song um we will not tolerate um you know, for all of us, they they used to start shows with that. And it was really like a manifesto call to attention, kind of statement of who they were, basically. But it was it's I mean, it couldn't be more pertinent um, than this year, really. You know, I mean, yeah. you know we will not tolerate raping, lynching, beating murdering Mm. of blacks we will not tolerate you know i mean and it's 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 really really powerful especially if you see the four of them doing it yeah um and they could do it so you know they could do it like you know absolutely be perfect and they would do it a cappella. yeah uh, uh, you know i just i felt like yeah like to go back to something that uh to have the 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 space to go back to something that i just something Mm -hmm. i don't do very often i'll be honest with you but Mm -hmm. something that i um was around when it came out and it still seems to make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, you Impossible. know, just tied it all up.
0: And the thing that, that strikes me about this part of the conversation um, is that like, you know, behind, you know, we'll say the end game is the productions, the likes of Kendrick, the phenomenal productions that happen. But behind all that, there's, there's a web that goes back to kind of soldiers on the ground, as you say, teachers, leaders who uh, inform yeah. and, 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 uh, and foster this
6: yeah i mean it's kind of a cliche to say that these things don't come out of nowhere but you you you, when you when you profess to liking or enjoying kendrick you're also saying you're professing to liking and appreciating this river of creativity and talent that that goes that allows for something like uh, kendrick to emerge you know so yeah yeah for me it's funny because you know the sort of detective historian cat in me is like, okay, so Joseph is in the studio. Joseph knows Mike and I from the freestyle fellowship. Was Joseph playing that music for Kendrick? Is that how he did it? Is that how they found yeah. it? And it turns out, no,
4: Yeah,
6: actually. Uh, Kendrick may not even have known about the fellowship mm-hmm. um, when he was making to a Butterfly. Um, but the people around him did. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, and the intention is there, you know, they'll, they, you know, cats figure it out. Like, we know we we know about things, but we might not consciously know about them. We we make links to things that we that might not necessarily seem absolutely direct. I will talk a little bit about this in the text in the book Ghost Notes. Mm-hmm. You know, just hearing Madlib talk about things and being like, "How does he know this?" But it's like he knows because he knows. I don't know. There's yeah. no, it's yeah. not rational. It's not a mm-hmm. straightforward explanation. You know? I know. So absolutely. and uh, yeah, and the fellowship were definitely a part of that. A big, big part of it, especially for me as well. You know, like. I mean, that's the beginnings for me. You know, when I was taken seriously by those guys and got that co sign here uh, uh, amongst underground cats or whatever, mm-hmm. that was a deal. That was yeah. a really big deal for me. And and that's, you know, it's because those guys co-signed, that's what allowed me to make work with DJ Shadow, for example. Okay, He's right. Like, yeah. I. yeah, because he knew about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody serious in that period knew about them. Mm-hmm. And um, if you want to know more about that record, actually, I've done a... a I've done a podcast called Heat Rocks mm-hmm. um, with uh, some folks from, from LA, Oliver Wang. And uh, and uh, he, he, they, they ask you to pick a record and, and, you know, spend an hour talking about it. And mm-hmm. the record I picked, first Freestyle Fellowship record. So it's called okay. To Whom It May Concern. But it's, it really is a – it was something very unique in LA at that time. And there was a whole movement grew up around it. And that movement still goes on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's out of those – that community – Are the people that are you know bringing back uh the orchestra or at least putting new energy into the orchestra it's not bringing back i mean it's been here the whole time but you know it's this sense of yeah there's a community of interest there and there's a and and it's it's the community in the end that this creativity emerges from it's not you know it isn't individual cases that's the beautiful thing with this so yeah
0: yeah, there's, there's pockets of isolated uh, magic, but then, you know, generally it rises up from the people, the community. Um, but just before we move back on to uh, the second set, there is, um, yeah, just in terms of, of how the community is feeling on the ground this week after the election, is it a case of, like what Maeve said in New York, that it's more a case of being relieved that it isn't Trump uh, as opposed to celebrating the fact that it's Biden?
6: Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't think people have any um, illusions. Um, my friend said, now we can go back to hating the president normal levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, and I, I, I you know what, though? I, I also believe what Angela Davis said, which is that um, it will be more possible to get gains from this guy yeah. than it would have been. From the other guy, yeah. and, and I, I, I not think that's real. And
0: that's a victory well, in itself. Yeah. yeah Small. World. I mean,
6: look. Uh, you know, the dude reads books. I mean, the guy yeah. can quote yeah. Seamus Heaney. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, You know, there, there are. You know, there are things that'll make you feel a little bit better. He has a rescue dog. He has a rescue dog. <laughs> seems moderately human. That wasn't a great. He didn't get a great eye job, but he seems moderately human. Yeah. And uh, yeah. You know. Okay. And I mean, that's, that's something to be, you know, to feel somewhat, well, I mean, look at the exact moment we are in. Yeah. Who uh, knows?
0: Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't
6: know. I don't know. Does this clown still have a few tricks up his sleeve? Yeah. We'll
0: see. Oh my God. At the, at the circus of Trump. But, um, yeah. um, Let's get right back to the music. So the second set is, is effectively a tribute to um, some people that we've just lost. So DJ Rogers is the main man. You might introduce this set uh, with the Watts Community Choir.
6: Yeah, I mean, this, that, that was a record that I've been looking for for a long time. And uh, I don't know how, man, but it ended up in Germany. And uh, some dealer in Germany had it. He put it on uh, Discogs, and I copped it very reasonably um, over the summer and uh, i was very happy with myself and then i i kind of um you know I, I i it was one of those things that just felt like it was it was a nice place to begin with a little bit of yeah this is brother henderson and yeah. <laughs> you know i was like yeah that kind of that's cool but uh, yeah i mean um dj rogers for me is kind of i was late to the party on dj rogers he's kind of an just absolutely stunning singer who took a lot of chances to me in a way that you know, we think of people like Suge Otis. I think you know as the kind of fringes of R&B with people yeah. that are you know pushing the limits and trying new new kinds of things, new kinds of lyrics, new kinds of you know instrumental choices. People in the kind of post Sly Stone moment. And DJ Rogers, after he um, moved on from the Watts Choir, um, had that kind of a career. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, uh, so I was, and I and I. To be honest, over the past sort of two years, I've spent a lot of time listening to the DJ Rogers records. I mean, I really, I really, I, I, you know, I, I had plans to do something, you know, I would become friends with him on Facebook. I had plans for 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 something that I'm working on to, to involve him in it. And then I was deeply saddened by his loss from um, I'm not sure if it was from COVID actually, but it was during this whole yeah uh, moment. Yeah. Um, and so I thought it would be nice. DJ Rogers originally isn't from Los Angeles, but actually really came into his own in LA. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so the first one is, is from that, uh, the Watts Community Choir yeah,
0: record.
6: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very first record he ever recorded. Um, the second one is from the kind of DJ Rogers record that wrecked my head. Like it had a few of his records, but it didn't quite, you know, you, you have records by people and they reach you, but you're not like, Oh my God. And mm-hmm. this one was the kind of, Oh my God moment for me. Yeah. And then, um, the next record, actually, it's the wrong cover, which is a kind of a, kind of a, it's weird that the the vinyl ended up, uh, the vinyl for the Patrice Russian ended up in another Patrice Russian uh, okay. record's cover uh, sleeve. Okay. For some reason, the way you know yourself, the way things get switched around. But the record, the, the Patrice Russian record is called Pizzazz, and the famous song, which was sampled by De La Soul, called mm-hmm. Giving It Up Is Giving In. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, features features DJ Rogers singing with Patrice, and for me, it's like I think it's my favorite Patrice.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: And Patrice Russian again. I should add, um, just to be absolutely Los Angeles about it, Patrice Russian is also part of the same mm-hmm. river. Um, Patrice Russian yeah. was taught G. Andrews also, and, um, and
0: a phenomenal uh, array of talents with composing and arranging and production. She has absolutely
6: incredible. I just um, shot um a the Central Avenue Jazz 25th year anniversary with my partner Eric Coleman and the two um headliners for it obviously it was no audience it was it's just for for internet purposes or whatever but yeah. um the two bands the two headliners was uh, Terrace Martin and Robert Glasper that was the first day which was just you know to to be there with good lenses and and just in a, in, a, in, in, in a set of conditions that we could set uh, yeah. and to shoot them playing was just bananas. They even played uh, What's a Dollar Worth? Mm-hmm. And um, and then the second day was Patrice. And yeah, like, you know, to get paid money to <laughs> be up close and personal shooting yeah. that kind of stuff is kind yeah. of makes, yeah. makes my life.
0: Uh, well, she's, she's, she's totally class. She is, and you can see. You know, the beautiful
6: thing is, she's the head of the popular music program at the University of Southern California. Oh, right. She lives here. You'll see her play in the community a lot. She has a, a trio sometimes. Sometimes it's a quintet. Um, more straight. Like you, you know, she doesn't really do uh, the hits, so mm-hmm. so to speak. But she, she, you know, she played. But just to see somebody of that level touch the keys is just absolutely wow. Like you know, like come on, man. You know what I mean? some One of the greatest to ever do it to me, you know? And, mm. I mean, completely not appreciated it as much as she should be, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. That
0: Starfire tune, I, I didn't hear before, the one that's after that. Anyway, we're this spoiler, uh, right Yes.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
6: Starfire is absolutely
4: stupid.
6: Oh, yeah. man. What the hell? Um, basically, okay, it's props to my man, Bernie from Beatbox Records in San Diego, one of my dudes. And Bernie, you know, uh, he's a digger big time and he turns up stuff and I'm very fortunate. I'm in his, his good books and he <laughs> you know, finds things that I think I might be interested in. He'll put it aside and he'll give me a call and I'll go over there. And we did a trade basically where I, I was just doing some, you know, where my studio is, where all my records are. Um there's some construction going on and they were warning us about dust and all this stuff. So I was like, man, this is a perfect time to clean up my studio. So cleaned up my studio, got a couple of boxes of stuff together, gave them to Bernie and he came by, um, with a small bag of treats and that Starfire just absolutely blew the head off me altogether. I
0: was like, yo, I I love to make the most of it. It's, it's a pretty, pretty apt tune for 2020, I think.
6: Yeah, man, you gotta just take it when you can get it, you know.
0: Um, (laughs) And so Rance Allen is in there as well, another one of uh, recently as
6: Well, man, and and Rance is this record is with the Mizell Brothers, who who also live in Los Angeles. And Rance Allen is just man the that group, and then that falsetto part in the second part of the song, just yeah, I don't know what it is about it, but every time I hear it, it surprises me. I'm just like, that is a guy, that is amazing yeah you know i think it's Ransal, exactly. obviously, you know the gospel the, you know going back to the kind of dj rogers like the church yeah the whole you know go- gospel singing which is that sort of at the center in many respects of, of so much of the tradition and and he's just one of the oh man i mean yeah that brother is incredible and uh, yeah yeah when you were saying the-
0: about the uh that that part that he sings it's just it's kind of a faith on fire kind of moment i read a quote from him today um what we feel like doing, we do that very thing. But we do it to the glory of God, as in, he was uh, he was a true believer. Mm. You can feel that absolutely, yep.
6: absolutely. I mean, his you know his entire career is, is gospel. But you know the the the, the, the wow, man. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, there's an argument that that people would make that the the, the finest singing that has happened in uh, in North America has been singing in in praise of God, and uh, I don't know you know i mean there's you know i'm i'm obviously slow to the to the game on this there's a lot of cats that are really really going hard on on uh on gospel music because there's so much of it Mm -hmm. and i mean if you're interested in kind of independent independently produced soul quote-unquote music of the 60s 70s 50s 60s 70s 80s Mm -hmm. um you know the most the biggest genre is gospel Mm -hmm. and uh, you know but it, there's there's nothing held back on on a good gospel record. Nothing. I mean, he is tough and as fierce and as alive and as mm-hmm. emotional as anything you'll find in any other music. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, and 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 Rance Allen's one of them, and 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 obviously uh, uh, DJ Rogers is you know absolutely right there too, front and center. Yeah. So,
0: but you know, Aretha. I mean, all the all the you know. Yeah, Aretha jumped to mind there immediately.
6: Yeah. But even, you know, the Sam Cooks, but I mean, I don't know that there's anybody, can Massey Washington playing church every Sunday? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, they don't, they don't, there's, there's very few people that aren't touched by it in some yeah, respect.
0: Yeah. Um, um, and so look, we'll, we'll, we'll just, uh, before we listen to it, we're gonna end up with Thundercat and I really want to talk to you about that chap. Um, but uh, let's go right back to the start and uh, the uh, Watts Community Choir for part two for B plus digs from the floor.
1: This is Brother Henderson. From the dismal dungeons of despair, from heartaches and frustration, for the first time on recording, we bring you DJ Rogers, director of the Watts Community Choir.
0: Undercat, I think, uh, well, I don't know, um, definitely um, the fastest base playing ever, but possibly the best as well. I was lucky enough to see him play here at the Sugar Club B, which was uh, quite a thing. Um, so, you know the man himself, Stephen Lee Browser, yeah?
6: Bruner. Yeah. Stephen Bruner. No, I do indeed. I mean, um be honest, I know, him. I know him a long time. I mean, I know him yeah, I know him since I guess around 2007, 2008, oh. um, we first started. To, maybe it was before that, but yeah, I think it was before that. But, um, yeah, he was one of them dudes that he would always – he always had his base. He was always practicing. Um, you know, you sort of hear that about people, and then you're like – then it's very rare you actually see it. But he's one of them cats. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's really – Actually figured out a space for himself in the music in a kind of extraordinary way. And well, I, I geek out with him because we're both into Hermeto Pascual. I don't know if you know who that is, but uh, Brazilian sort of extraordinary, really most known, I guess, for music that would be considered fusion, but a, a Brazilian jazz musician that mm-hmm. plays flute, plays piano, like multi-instrumentalist, but also super experimental and also... Some of the most, you know, some of the records that just came out in Brazil are some of the most difficult records in terms of, like, the level of playing. Mm-hmm. And Thundercat fucking, that's some shit. He loves that shit, dude.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: Stuff that's hard to play. I don't know what it is about playing bass, but <laughs> you look at people like mm-hmm. Carl Kay, you know what I mean? In terms of la bass players, like, you got Carol Kay. Carl Kay plays really difficult stuff. Mm-hmm. And Thundercat really likes playing difficult stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we geek out on that, but... He's a wonderful guy, man, super generous, mm-hmm. sweetheart, basically. And, uh, and what a talent, you know I mean? Just kind of yeah, mad, 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 mad talent.
0: It came across so, yeah. I, the, the, the show the that record. I, yeah, sorry, go on, yeah. B, yeah, go on.
6: Yeah. That song is from the, f- well, the newest record, which came just at the beginning of COVID. It came in the mail. I remember he sent me a text like, I need your address. I was like, Whoa, okay. And then he sent me the record and, uh, yeah, it's at the beginning of COVID. It was like um, a record that we listen to a lot in the house. And I just put that song on because it's the most like hermeto kind of song on the record to me. Mm-hmm. Um, which is always the one that I'm. I end up being like, "Wow, whoa, listen to that shit. That is music that I can't even imagine." <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I the last show I saw before the beginning of COVID was Thundercat live in Santa Ana. Mm-hmm and then the first live music i've seen was i happened to be at his manager's house for something else and he showed up with these two kids um, amazing kids called j d beck and Dommy keys and they sh- and they came with thundercat and there happened to be some instruments lying around and they just sat in and started playing and it was like he was just like y'all know some weather report and then
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like what the
6: hell but i was like wow man like i'm how am i that i get to you know like the last show before the covid yeah. was a Cat, and then the first piece of live music i get to see you walk up so, yeah.
0: you walk a blessed path or something uh Brian cross <laughs> um, <laughs> and those two points um lovely connection between the last and and the, and the first one with thundercat involved um what i was going to say was that the his his live show is that you know there's there's sometimes people can play and people have great tunes but then people come along and they have an extra thing like a vibe that um, that you know they it exudes positivity and he's one of those people that uh, you know I don't know all the way back to somebody like Mavis Staples I'm thinking about where there's just somebody who's smiling their way and powering through in in uh, the songs with a smile on their face
6: yeah, I mean, yeah, he definitely has the vibe of somebody that doesn't take himself too seriously. Yeah. But don't be mistaken. I mean, I'll say this. He takes his music very, very, very
0: seriously. Yeah.
6: Um, but yeah, he has this sort of beautiful way of being self-effacing. Yeah. And- Beautiful way. Oh man,
0: no, no, that was terrible,
6: you know. And then it was like that wasn't terrible. That was, <laughs> but I, I had, a, I was very lucky. Um, when was it? It was, I guess, it was two thousand and nineteen. I'm not remembering very well. Yeah, it must have been two thousand nineteen. Um, they he did five nights straight at the Blue Note in New York, and they hired me to photograph it. And uh, you know, five nights in a row in this tiny club with mm-hmm. him and his band. Doing two and sometimes three sets a night. I mean, wow! I it's just like it. I mean, it was to me a brain melt, basically, you know. And I was, you know, I was in sort of position where I there was three or four spots in the club where I could be close Mm -hmm. um, to him, and you know, to to make photographs. And just to be there, you know, for 20 minutes sitting behind the drummer, just watching them just absolutely shred. And then, to you know, they're going to turn around and do this again in another hour. Mm-hmm. You're just like, Jesus Christ. I mean, but, the, you know, th- that's what makes me profoundly happy in moments like this to see cats like him or mm-hmm. Kamasi, whatever, that are really, really, really in- musicians
0: mm-hmm. in
6: the most, you know, rudimentary sense, you know, like be successful is great.
0: Yeah. Um, and with Kamasi, you've you've worked a lot with him, right? Um, I've probably worked as much with Thunder. I mm-hmm. mean, we both probably the same amount with with him. But
6: yeah, I, I worked with Kamasi the same way. I mean, he was, you know, the, uh, I I ran into Kamasi a different way. I saw Kamasi leading a band at the World Stage, actually, the place that. Uh, and it's weird. Kamasi is like an old soul, whereas like Thundercat is like a a kid. You know, you have mm-hmm. a very Sweet kind of childlike aspect. He's not a child at all, but he, he's just his vibe.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: Whereas Capaci is more like the old soul. I remember Thundercat told me one time, he's our Pharaoh Saunders. You know, he's the one guy that can call us and we'll show up. <laughs> and uh, it really stood out, you know. Yeah. I mean, when you seen him play, to me, you you remi- reminded me. I never met Cannibal laterally, but he reminded me of that kind of vibe, like the bigger guy who's friendly that everybody loves and respects, mm-hmm. or whatever. That has that tone, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, and then, you know, I mean, we're here, we have resources, I don't work all the time for the industry. I, I like to think, you know, like, I I mean, my approach to this is that, like, I just try to follow the music I try, I, you know, and, and if I get paid along the way, great, but, I, but I'm not, it's not the money. I mean, I know it's this is a cliche, but it's a, it's not, it really isn't what I wake up in the morning thinking about, okay, where am I going to sell mm-hmm. my wares next? I'm thinking, why, what do I, what should I be photographing right now? Like mm. I should be, I should be making photographs with Dommy Keys and J D Beck. I should be making photos of those guys. That's mm. where I need to be. And then I'll, I'll make it happen. Did you take then, any the other know, day?
0: Say that again. Did you take any the other day when they were chatting? Photos with, the other day yeah, with, uh, yeah.
6: with uh, yeah. Taris Martin and them. I was
0: actually shooting video. Okay. Uh, we, okay. Okay.
6: Yeah, yeah. So I was. I mean, I did take some photos, but just kind of goofy, yeah. snap the end kind of thing. Um, we were really the. It'll be online. Um, mm-hmm. and it's. It's it's totally. I mean, trust me, is something you should absolutely. If you get a chance to see, see folks. Um, I'll I'll send the link to Donald. So follow uh, mm-hmm. Donald. Uh, 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 you know, we'll we re- get some repost cracking. Yeah, and uh, just just you know, because it's. I mean, the the weird thing about this situation is is that, you know, something that you would have had to be on Central Avenue in Los Angeles, uh, to see now you're going to be able to see online which isn't ideal but mm-hmm. you know when's the last time you had a chance to see patrice russian in concert
0: <laughs> you're right yeah
6: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? so yeah you know, um yeah I, I, and 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 terrorists obviously you know of course i mean you know i mean they they really that that was a very was moving to be honest i mm-hmm. was it was another day where i was like, jesus i'm i'm very lucky to fucking get paid to fucking mm-hmm. be you know six feet away from Robert Glasper in full flight. Yeah, I mean, with
0: with his, good you know, lenses, <laughs> with
4: a uh, fucking <laughs> zoom. Fucking
0: yeah, stunning. Um, I mean, I'm arm, I, arm know, to the teeth.
6: It was. I mean, it was an athletic affair, man. I mean, my yeah. game. My part of it was like I'm the one that can actually get in there and pick off things. Mm-hmm. So I'm the one that can fill the whole frame with his hands, or even mm-hmm. one hand. As I was doing, following his right hand for a while, mm-hmm. uh, and in my headphones, then they're telling me, like you know, get his face, pull back, get a, get the bass player, get the you know, and I'm and and just to be athletically engaged. I mean, obviously, I'm not. It's not music I'm doing, but to me, it's music. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's the closest I'll get to making music. Yeah, that's uh, th-
0: that's great. Yeah, I like that, that idea.
6: Yeah. I mean, um, the, I, when, I when you're that in that gig.
0: position normally, and if it is a live gig, I mean, you don't have that freedom to, to get that close and to be in the way.
6: No, no, it's very rare, honestly. No. Yeah. I mean, the pit so is a bad yeah. and lonely place to be very often at gigs. It is really. Yeah. People say, like, oh my God, you're up there you're so close. You're up there fucking looking up people's noses yeah. in a shitty situation with the energy of a crowd at your back, like a phenomenal amount of energy at your back. Yeah. And then something incredible going on in front of you, but it's literally going over your head. Mm-hmm. And so it's this sort of weird, you know, um, yeah,
0: it's challenging. Yeah,
6: but this is obviously their plan for us, yeah, so, see, that's the know.
0: difference, right? Yeah. It's all about that. Um, yeah. So let's jump forward into set number 3 which you know if I was to uh, pick uh, the desert island set out of the four it would be number 3. Uh there is uh, an Happy. amount an amount of tunes that I've already uh got off you uh, be uh, that Kaita de Franca Brazilian tune but also this first one what the hell Wajid so tell us about this dude.
6: So oh, Wajid is like uh as an old friend, again, he used to have a band called Platinum Pied Pipers that were assigned to Ubiquity for a while. But he is one of the group of cats that come up around Dilla, like Kareem Riggins, um, you know, uh, one of the dudes that used to make beats that was part of the kind of slum village, kind of expanded slum village collective. And, and Wajid made it was a very close uh, friend of, of Dilla, but he's from Detroit, and so, you know, he's he, he can make hip hop beats but he chose to to make more utilitarian body oriented music at the present <laughs> time and uh and this is for me you know in, in the house here this this that song got a lot of we played it a lot of times man because yeah. i forget the hook we it goes like 1960 what oh 2020, yeah what?
0: 2022 2022 2022 oh, 2020, yeah. that's amazing oh, it's yeah oh good um and
6: so, yeah and well, then after that is the Candido, which...
0: Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Let's talk Candido.
6: Well, Candido is one of that group of percussionists that came from Cuba um, in the early late 40s, which was basically Candido, Mango Santa Maria,
4: mm-hmm.
6: Francisco Agua Willie Willy Bobo. And there's one more, and I'm spacing on who it is, but I'm sure somebody...
0: Tito Puente was in New York already, right?
6: Tito Puente is in New York. Yeah. Um, and these guys, but these guys spread out. So, you yeah. know, some of them came to the West Coast. Francisco Aguave came out here. And they really changed the game, you know, in terms of yeah. uh, syncopation in, in in American popular music. I mean, they, you know, there's an argument that says that what, you know, that the, that the Dizzy Gillespie um, band at the Palladium in the 50s yeah. is, is and seeing that, Buddy Holly seeing that um, is really what, what what takes rock and roll to a whole new world. Yeah, you know, the the clave and the influence of the clave into uh-huh. popular music. So Candido is one of those guys. But the thing about Candido is, dude, like the guy was still alive. He's 99. 99, old. yeah, yeah. And yeah. full of music to this day, you know, till yeah. he passed. It's like yeah. two weeks, ago, I guess now. And this was, you know, Sal Soul record in the, uh, I guess, mid-70s. And it's so proto-House. I mean, it's like Mm -hmm. he preempts House. In the same way as kind of like Azimuth, for example, kind of preempts House. Right. But Candido, that that record is just, you know, I mean, that's a classic,
0: classic. I I actually, I I read a piece that Giles Peterson wrote about, uh, you know, just how much a big deal that tune was in terms of developing his DJing, because I guess because it just bridged those worlds in a a very natural way. Um, But... um, the and the things that i mean the innovations that he brought to the game which was possibly the spark that kind of led to that kind of latin jazz revolution that you're talking about that moment in new york but um so when he started to tune the drums in a different way and was able to play melodies, so that was him right that that uh, came up with that innovation
6: no i mean i think in 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 the case of hand drums perhaps yeah. but yeah. i think you know in conga terms maybe I to talk to any, yeah I mean, you talk to any drummer i mean they're you know they you know i know in our minds we we have people that play percussion in a different category but they're musicians and so there's always the notion of how the drums are tuned how you know actually what you know what you know where does the snare sit i mean you know the same kind of concerns that people that make beats today have yeah. Drummers have always had that um, going right back to New Orleans, you know, when you first when you first start to have set you know, kits, you know, if you can imagine a, a world where set drums, you know, in the sense of like the hi-hat, the snare, the toms and the kick underneath was all played by one guy to a situation prior to that where, you know, I, I just play the cymbals. I play the snare or I play the, the big drum, you know, like, you know, that style. And then it gets compressed into something that one person can play. And then, yeah, this is their instrument. So, you know, it, it absolutely makes it makes sense that um, Candido and them. But I think for them, there's a kind of what strikes me about that group of Cubans that came was there was a kind of fire. There's a fire in, in Cuban music that's different. And mm-hmm. and those guys brought the fire as far as uh, yeah. percussion. Yeah. I mean, they really, you know, they made it a thing. And then, uh, and, you know, there's. It it influences all. It influences popular music. It influences jazz. It influences everything. So yeah, uh, real well, talk.
0: Back at back in the day, uh, be there a while ago. Um, I was got to know a Cuban uh, musician here, Freyland Moran. But he he was talking about his grandparents one day, and all four of them were alive, and all four of them were uh, older than hundred years old. And in the village that they were from, it wasn't uncommon to be like you know uh, over a hundred.
6: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know there's there's a will to live
0: yeah.
6: uh, amongst folks that's you know that's really special man there's a, there's a's there's a kind of life force um, that you find in in, in groups of people in Cuba is full of this kind of stuff, man. I mean there's a there is something special and unique in the way we talk about Jamaica, yeah. um, certainly Cuba, you can put it on the list as yeah. somewhere you know music is an important part of people's everyday life
7: yeah
6: um, and people that have that gift definitely are venerated and have a, an important place in in people's communities and then yeah this leads to a long a happy life can be a long life if you're if you if you know how to look after yourself properly yeah. you know?
0: how extensive is your own uh, travels in Cuba
6: um, okay so basically I went there for the first time around 96 ninety seven. And then i went there a bunch up until around 2001 um and that it was a friend of mine basically uh, uh jimmy maslin started a record label there um, found a loophole in the law that uh, uh, allowed him to put out records that were being recorded in cuba and uh took a risk he was a guy who was uh, of Cuban heritage, had you know was a musician himself, and then ended up making some money um, collecting uh, old films, basically, and uh, and licensing them out or whatever, get, you know, getting the copyrights on them and licensing them out, like old B movies and stuff. And then he took some of that money and went and started this label in Cuba called Nama. And uh, I, he told me the story, and I was like, "You're gonna need photos," and I was of course desperate to go.
0: <laughs> to go to I <laughs> know I'm a like, photographer. Oh. <laughs> yeah.
6: So it was like, dude, get me there. Get me there. I'll sort it out. Just get me there. So then I started yeah. to I started to he started to send me there. And uh, and then I, I went back as often as I could. Um, and I do miss I, I haven't been there since, sadly, mm-hmm. but I, I would love to go. I know it's changed a lot, mm-hmm. but uh, and I also know there's probably a lot of things that I would, you know, um, it's a very, very interesting place. Mm-hmm. So obviously this was. You know, when I started going there, it was a good few years before the Buena Vista Social Club thing Mm -hmm. came out. But for me, I felt. um, As much as I was kind of uh, happy to hear that music, of course, um, that wasn't the kind of music that you would run into on the street Mm -hmm. in Cuba. And for me, when I realized I had this kind of realization when the film came out, um, that there that that it was possible for people in the United States to have a very critical view of Cuba um, led by kind of cold war politics um, and still appreciate, you know, this sort of touristic version, which is the kind of pre-revolutionary mm-hmm. uh, the cars, the, the, the son mm-hmm. and son, you know, Cuban music of the fifties
0: Yeah,
6: and in some weird way, this, this, even though, you know what Ry Cooter did really was was do something like, you know, make a a, a best of Arieto, which is the, the the label, the Cuban label, the government label, yeah. um, where all those musicians were were playing and recording records in the early '70s. It's not really the '50s. These were all cats that post-revolutionary cats mostly, and um, and that's what he was. You know, he he was he was. I don't think uh, like Ry Cooter really. I mean, anybody could have anticipated the level of success of that, of that project, Yeah, but uh, the record obviously is extraordinary. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing country. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember, but <clears throat> in the, in the seventies, uh, Shannon airport was the place that uh, Russian planes would refuel on their way to Cuba. So, you know, you could up until really up until the early 2000s, you could fly um, out of Shannon directly into Havana.
4: Mm-hmm. And
6: uh, I, n- I never did it, but I, but I had a job one time in, 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 in Havana, and I, I, uh, I got Jimmy to pay for some. Uh, uh, my friend Paul McCarthy, who's an Irish photographer, to come and assist me. And he flew um, through Shannon, which I, I, I just think like, I would have loved <laughs> to have done it. You know, Aeroflot. I'm with it. I mean, it's yeah. exactly like the kind of thing
0: I'd want to do. <laughs> Twinned forever. Um, yeah. No, the, the, <laughs> but be, you've be really. Is it? It's fair to say. I think that you know, um, in the time that I've known you, and and all of the work that you've done, um, I suppose it's, it's not by accident that you find yourselves in these places where the music is uh, pretty much, you know, the fire is strong. Um, so you know all throughout south america and cuba as well uh and uh, and elsewhere but i suppose um yeah you uh, you must i know you do count kind of yourself lucky to have been had the opportunity to de- to do these things yeah
6: i mean it, yeah i mean it, it's it's kind of life's work stuff in the sense that like when i hear things that i that really make my heart beat faster, to quote Chris Marker or whatever. Like, but when I hear things that make me go, "Oh wow, how did that happen?" Whether it's you know covers of Fela songs from the northeast of Colombia, or whether it's you know, um, Cuba, you know, Cuban music of the early '70s that sounds like Earth, Wind and Fire, um, or whether it's you know something from Brazil that just you know totally knocks my head off. For me, it's it's about find... Then it's find a way to get there. Yeah. Just find, just go there. Don't, if you can find the records, cool, if they're reasonably priced, but if you can save your money a little bit and just get yourself a plane ticket.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, generally, my experience has been that the... What's to be gained from actually going there and meeting people and talking to folks on the ground and trying to understand and spending your money that way often is more productive. Obviously, I, I make art out of it, but... Um, in terms of actually trying to understand how this stuff works. Like Mm -hmm. there's no, Mm -hmm. there's no substance for going there. So I, yeah. So I, I, the Brazil thing was, it was another thing. It was just like, I had a project and Mm -hmm. the Red Bull Music Academy had wanted the project to go to Brazil. And then we said like, we won't do it unless you include Brazilian musicians in it. Of course, I didn't know what I was getting myself into at that point. I was like, surely we'll be able to find some drummers in Brazil. Mm -hmm. Of course I don't. It's like, yeah, I mean, come on. But, um, you know, so, you know, so, so that was, you know, it was nearly like I, I, I nearly, I mean, I had some Brazilian music, but I really, the, the, the learning started when the feet hit the ground, you know, mm. it was, it was like um, Madlib, we, we went with Madlib and Madlib, it seemed like Madlib knew what he he knew it already. He, he, he just had figured out Brazilian music from just digging mm-hmm. um, and was, you know, went to the store and knew about things that were. we were like, whoa, how is he figuring this out? But, you know, he just, he's, he's he has a kind of knowledge and wisdom around music and records that's, you know, again, it's not something that's easily, it's not rational, basically. It's not something you can be like, oh, he, yeah. that's he spent the, <laughs> you know, it's something that he's been doing since since he was, you know, since he's as long as he could breathe like Dilla, you know, but just different. Otis is different, but Otis have a thing for Brazilian music. Mm-hmm. But um,
0: yeah, so... That's, so you got to go together. and, and
6: That's what I got to say, man, is like, that's uh, a head from Brazil put me up on that record. Um, a guy called Ronaldo Evangelista. Um, look him up. He's also a record producer. He also is involved in this project called Goma Laca, which has absolutely amazing, as far as new Brazilian music, absolutely amazing stuff that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he put me up on that record and it just oh man and, and if you look I, I was lucky enough to, to catch a copy that had the, still had the original inner sleeve with photos and stuff mm-hmm. and if you looked, it was on the record it's just a who's who of really the toughest guys in, in Brazil in that moment from Donato to Dominguinos to Sivuca and she's you know she's something very special yeah, France, yeah. Really, really amazing
0: um, it's funny the and, way you, you mentioned her, that go on sorry she's still making records I mean she okay. just put out
6: a record maybe a year ago and it's amazing You know, I can't. It's still amazing.
0: Uh, We might pick up and talk a little more about her, but I think we should uh, head straight for the dance floor. What did he call it earlier? Um, yeah, Uh, body movement. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, this is uh, the beginning of uh, the wonderful uh, section four of Digs from the Floor B plus, and this is Wajid.
8: Tiribota e bota sem parar O tamanco do pé O tamanco do pé O que que ele é? Tamanqueiro O que que ele é? Tamanqueiro O que que ele calça? Tamanco O que que ele calça? Tamanco O tamanqueiro Tira e bota, bota e tira Tira e
4: Show
0: So, O Quarteto, tell us about them um, from Brazil. Oh, man.
6: There's another one. Okay. So, I was fortunate enough. God, these records have such stories. It's funny to me. But, anyways, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I kind of designed it this way. I just forgot, like, you'd be forgetting. but Stories Quarteto, attached. They do. Um, I, I was lucky enough to go to South Africa and Brazil with Kamasi Washington shooting. And, um, in. Sao Paulo, I had a, like a, a little bit of time in the middle of the day to go look at records, of course. And so, Battlecat, the great LA um, producer um, who's done songs for Snoop and all kinds of cats, but an amazingly important, influential uh, record producer in LA, was DJing with Kamasi and the band. He's like, I want to go. So, that record to me, I had seen it. And I, you know, it didn't look like the era or the kind of thing. It looked like a kind of post-bossa thing. It looked like it might be corny or something. So I, I for whatever reason, I mean, there's so many records in Brazil. So um, for whatever reason, I didn't really check it. And so Battlecat wasn't being, you know, he was kind of talking to people. And it didn't look like he was, you know, I mean, I just go straight to the crates. And I'm like, don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm going in, you know, and then well, he was just being all social or whatever. He didn't really pull out too many records. And he pulled out this one. I remember seeing him walking over to the turntable in the store. And thinking, you know, oh, he's not going to like this record. And it's the first record he plays. He drops the needle, and the whole everybody just goes, "What? Oh my!" And he's just like, "Woo!" So, uh, yeah. So I had to get it. He he got it, but I had to go find it afterwards. And um, the beautiful thing about the record is those four guys were cats that practiced singing close harmonies mm-hmm. for a very long time together and never recorded. Then they recorded a record acapella, and they brought it to the great producer, pianist, and husband of Ellis Regina, a guy called Cesar Camargo Mariano. And he took the record, walked it into the record company, and said that he would do the accompaniment. And then he used this, I'm sorry, I don't remember now, but a, 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 my, the musicians will know, um, keyboard that had a, you know, like a, a bass guitar sound and mm-hmm. a, and, a, and then... And then put effects, and then did the arrange, you know, did the music, did the harmonies, basically. And wow, this record is end to end, like it's just a straight burner. It's like a proper vibe. Mm-hmm. So, and a perfect record if you wanted to make beats. It's just the kind of perfect thing to steal little vocal bits or whatever. It's just mm-hmm. really beautiful. And of course, Battlecat's the one that turned it up. You know that. I mean, if, there's just something about like if you pay enough dues to the music. The good records will find their way to you that's you know what i mean like i, I remember cat saying that to me in the 90s and not really understanding you know, i'm being like yeah whatever but <laughs> yeah. no i mean if you pay dues to the music the music will pay you
0: back yeah the the whole uh the whole i mean what what's well i mean among the things many things that we've lost in the last while um spectacularly so is uh being able to go uh dig in for records or go to the shop um, yeah the I suppose for many years it's fair to say um, that that's been changing anyway. But um, like I I am always reminded of something um, that Olin from All City said about uh, men talking about records. It is uh, something like our shoes, you know. But uh, but aside from all of that, right? Park. Or fishing, right? Like it's like fishing.
6: We used to always be like it's like fishing. Since uh, when I did the video for Midnight in a Perfect World? Oh yeah. There's a number of photos where shadow and chief excel and those guys are in places where there's like a million records yeah. but they're doing this gesture with their hands like oh, look so at how weird. you know like like really big it was a really big fish i mean we say <laughs> like yeah it's like those are the equivalent of our fishing photos like where it was like it was
0: this big
4: Yeah. You know?
6: uh no, but yeah there is Very something
0: true. there is something though that 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 i i believe is really precious that's missing and um and and it's to do with like a tactile appreciation for the music and the way it moves around and we were talking about community earlier that it, in my experience you know um when it really worked it was a kind of community uh sharing kind of thing um but um Absolutely. yeah it, i mean it- you know, no one person can know it. You know, they say this in Asian music, in in South Asian music. They say no,
6: no one person can know it, and then they say to learn it, it takes more than one generation. Yeah. So if you if you really understand that music is that, then it starts to you start it starts to make sense in a whole other way. It is a way to build community. I mean, that's fundamentally what it does. That's mm-hmm. what it's made for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very, you know, for me, it's, it's a much more successful way of organizing people than politics. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now, of course. It there's that you know it it, it can be problematic, but but it, it's it's actually a really successful way to reach people, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know I, for me especially in the hands of of the 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 you know the greatest musicians. Yeah. This is a very special, so very, you know, John Coltrane. Like what what in in real terms has John Coltrane contributed to the planet? A lot, yeah. a lot of peace, a lot of understanding, a lot of people spending. Quality time with themselves and trying to understand what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And can you, you know, how can you monetize that? Why would you want to? You know it's I mean? un- it's need-
0: unquantifiable.
6: Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean, so
0: I, w- one of the things that struck me uh, when what you were saying earlier about the church, you know, and uh, I know you mentioned Kamazi in in uh, in that context. Yeah is that, um, you know, when you think about the rich uh, tapestry of music that, that we have got from uh, America that has been touched or blessed by uh, belief, we haven't really got that from Ireland.
6: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, perhaps. But I, I would also say that there's, yeah, I mean, in, this, in the formalized sense of, of you know, the, the way we do religion is differently, supposedly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's that's religion i think in terms of to think of it in a broader sense um in terms of spirituality i think all the great uh, irish music has a sort of more deeply informed sense of i don't know there's a kind of oh no i feel that for sure you know what i mean like um and, and and it is to do with the spirit so to speak yeah I mean, with spirits, too, of course, but. <laughs> yeah. okay. Make mine a short one there, Jerry. But, um, but it's. Spirits it's, in it's... which sense? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You're right. It is the spirit, the spiritual.
6: <laughs> yeah, is is it there? I mean, I think to do it right, and I think that's the thing. Um, we have managed to do it right. Like there is, you know, we 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 do have
0: a great musical tradition. You know, oh god, yeah, um, we
6: do have an understanding of music that's in in ways that are very important. I I'm of the you know Bob Quinn um, version of European history that puts us in a slightly different
0: access and I think that's something to do with it. But I think just yeah. you mean with with Arabic culture. I think so yeah.
6: I think so I think North African culture I think yeah I mm-hmm. mean our scales are different I mean there's you know like I I was I remember being at the pyramids and uh, and, and seeing a guy with a you know two pieces of bamboo tied uh-huh. together with a string um, with reeds and being like dude like that's fucking that's Ellen Pipes I mean yeah. what the fuck is I mean, that's Ellen Pipes but that, that's just a singular anecdote I mean yeah Quinn has done a lot more. Oh
0: yeah, uh, his. I mean, research.
6: yeah. And it's not to think of it as as in some kind of, um, you know, some kind of notion that you know that you know that, that uh, I just think that the conversation around Irish music is is you know and, and understanding is is more complicated sometimes than we think.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, and music, like you know, a lot of good things. Doesn't always obey national boundaries, doesn't always follow, um, you know, linear paths, it, you know, things, you know, it's, it's, it's a conversation. And it's, it's been a conversation for a very, very long time. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, and um, it flows and I, like I, a conversation. It does. Yeah. And Atlantean is some piece of work, isn't it? Uh, and- Atlantean is a very, very important, important. piece of work. sure is.
6: Is and I, I mean, I think you know, in terms of the kind of work that needs to be done in terms of you know what people call like decentering Europe, um, this you know, Bob, Bob Quinn is is only you know 50 years ahead of his time, you know. I mean, yeah. he's this is a very you know what he's proposing, what's so radical about it is an entirely different way of understanding European history yeah. as opposed to understanding European history as a a series of wars and conquerings and all this kind of other stuff. There's another way of thinking about it. And the periphery plays a much more important role than the big commercial centers. And we are in the periphery yeah. and w- w- we found ways of, you know, and, and this is, and this is pre um, you know, Cromwell I mean, So is it, this is a complicated argument and it's a difficult thing, but you know, and it, it requires, you know real scholarship to kind of turn up the kinds of things that he proposed but then he's not a historian really i mean he is but he's a he's an artist mm-hmm. so very often it's the artists that you know like sunra has been talking about stuff since the 50s that people yeah. are figuring out you know like and yeah. and, and people looked at sunra like there was something wrong with him and yeah. people like believe we looked at bob quinn for a while like funny people you know he was considered when i was in ireland in the 80s you know Bob Quinn wasn't really taken seriously, yeah. And he he ended up doing to me some of the most important work at that period, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know that that that's the thing. I mean, stuff sometimes it sounds absolutely crazy, ends up being right, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, I mean, it's and, you know it's it's I mean for me the 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 amount of these things that you know the 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 an an ability to appreciate the melodian talking to Cathy de France, yeah,
0: yeah.
6: The, through, the road leads through Pernambuco. Leads right. through Forho. It doesn't lead through the music yeah. I grew up listening to in my house with my dad, mm-hmm. it, or that I heard on a R, RTE or whatever. Like, is, is, is it, it, it? I had to go to Brazil and hear Foho to understand that, you know, Irish, you know, squeeze box, quote unquote, music is mm-hmm. actually whoa, actually an amazing thing, mm-hmm. which I didn't I wasn't. I didn't have ears to appreciate it growing up. You know. Yeah.
0: Me too. Me too. Oh, we're on the same page there with that one. Um, but yeah, it's strange the past. I mean, I think it, it's it's a measure of what music does—the way that it can take you and 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 transport you places, and you don't know where you are, but you'll find your way back. And the, you know, it's the thing that the brings you back. Home. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the long dark road home uh, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of the long road home uh be uh, in set number four again i just want to thank you for being so generous with your time with your digs from the floor um you have um yeah so what's in here in number four
6: number four was like i the joints that i really wanted to get in there that i couldn't you didn't quite fit in the earlier part yeah and i was just kind of you know eh, let's put some fusion put some you know random bits but um it starts off with fernando Toussaint. again my man and uh, bernie and in, in san diego turned up this record very very curious mexican fusion record yeah from i think 1980 but it's just like ready to go man i was you know you were probably freestyling over it, I'm sure. Don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: the freestyling it, <laughs> never stops right <around> here.
6: <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but then it follows. I followed it with this. Uh, I followed it with this uh, Teru Nakamura record, a, a jazz fusion record um, from Japan, from I think 1979. The thing that made me curious about it is it has the great Harry Whitaker on there. And Harry Whitaker was a collaborator with Edwin Birdsong and Roy Ayers on a lot of those great records in the early 70s. And he ended up going to Tokyo. So I knew, you know, that this there's a good possibility that this record was tough. And then I bought it. And, of course, it uh-huh. was really good. Um, the, the next record is this Virgilio record, which is a Venezuelan fusion record, which, again, I have to give credit where it's due. Um, a, a good friend of mine from back in the day is a kid called Geology, um, who's a sort of up-tempo DJ right now, vinyl only, um, travels around the world very successfully. And, uh, he posted the record and then afterwards, I think Giles or somebody was, you know, I've just got it, you know, um, and I happened to go into a store in New York and it was on the wall and I was like, all right, well, I will, I'll spend a little bit of money to have this record. It's a very, very nice record. Mm. Um... Charles Erland record again is not a difficult record to find at all. Um, with Freddie
0: Hubbard and Joe I mean, Henderson, Edison, yeah,
6: yeah, yeah. I mean, Joe Henderson. Honestly, man, like if Joe Henderson is on it, it's one of those records you kind of want to be like, well,
0: yeah. maybe I should. And, and, um, it, and it is called "Leaving This Planet" as well. <laughs> and the song I
4: played is called
6: "Leaving This Planet." It,
0: information.
6: In the before before it looked likely that Joe Biden would become president-elect i was very close to uh leaving this planet was how go- i was going to start the whole yep. thing but in any, in any event joe biden and seamus heaney saved us
0: <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at the joe heaney or sorry the seamus heaney and joe biden intersection um we have been saved yet again <laughs> uh, leaving this planet exactly so yeah
6: so that's so it found its way to the end Followed by Stanley Cowell, another person I would say, if you ever see his records, pretty much I could say I don't have a bad Stanley Cowell record in my mm-hmm. collection, um, and I have a lot of them. Um, but anyway, that song is a famous song um, called Traveling Man, which I thought was kind of appropriate. And it's a different version than the version that had been sampled by, I believe, Pete Rock, but I could be wrong. That's one for the who sampled homies out there. Um, the record after that is – well, that was a thing I wanted to – oh. I wanted to, even in, within the individual parts of this, I always wanted to play something modern.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: I wanted, to, I even wanted to play the Denise Shalia record
0: from. Oh yeah,
6: you know, I mean, because that's that's another record we've been listening to the hell out of. All the Merle, you know, Merley's amazing, I'm, dude. The Limerick homies are killing right now, dude. Yeah. I'm embarrassed. I'm like, damn, what the hell? Yeah. We just, how do we? How are we? How is Limerick doing this? This is so <laughs> man, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, like, Hey, Hayes, young fella. I mean, dude, there's, there is really important. Anyway, so I want to put something new on it, on each yep. uh, individual bit. And this is something that, my uh, my running buddy, my partner, my creative partner for many, many years, um, Eric hit me to, which is a Timberland, uh, beat, which samples, um, the Colombian, uh, Toto the Colombian singer, Toto La Mampesina.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: And another person, if you ever get to see her records, just buy them there. It's a family group from um, the north of Colombia. And it's just, whoa. And she's, it's through Timbaland, but um, she's been sampled quite a bit now um, on beats for, you know, Jay-Z, uh, obviously a lot of Timbaland productions, but amazing, beautiful music. And so he hit me to this one and I just, that was like, you know, that's like a, Two dollars on Discogs record
0: right there. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Uh, what about the Francis Bebe one next? Is that two dollars record?
6: And honestly, it's another one of those records. Honestly, I, I'll tell you a funny story, man. I went into this record store in uh, in Brooklyn called Human Head. If you're ever in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. get yourself a Human Head. It's an amazing record store. I like the more neighborhoody style record stores where dudes aren't tripping on. It's not like boutique style. Like boutique style for me is it's just kind of a downer. Like, it's like, oh man, everything seems too expensive and Mm -hmm. they have a few good things but it feels like already way picked over whereas the neighborhood record stores where the dude's finding things and going like, put this on the wall just because it sounds amazing. Anyway, he, uh, we were there, it was a Saturday afternoon, there was a bunch of people in the store. I was there with Quantic and uh, we were digging and he played this record and at the end of the second song I, I went up there and I was like, dude, what are you playing right now? And he showed me the cover and I was like, dude, I wouldn't, Never think that this record would sound like this. And uh, mm.
0: there's a picture then, of. I, I refer people back to the pictures, but there's a beautiful picture of him uh, with a, a, a thumb piano and the figure piano. Yeah. On the Oh
6: yeah. my goodness! I mean, it's like again. There's like proto house music on here. Yeah. There's you know, it's, I mean, there's things on here where you're just like, how do, uh, what the hell? But Francis Bebe is an. I mean, again, another amazing figure. He wrote books about African music. Made many, many records. And uh, I mean there's another person right now that's, you know, being sort of rediscovered by a new generation of of, of music heads. Mm-hmm. Uh there's been some of the music has been reissued in that. Like he did some experiments with the electronic music. But uh, anyway, yeah, by the by the end of the first side, I just went up and I was like, How much are you looking for this record? And I was like <laughs> uh, you, the whole store went quiet, you know. Everybody was like, What is this music? So I was like, Fuck that. I'm not waiting for someone else to do it. I'm gonna do it. So like i need a hundred bucks for it i was like okay um which i know for people is like what you spent a hundred bucks like man trust me like these aren't the kind of records that you can just put your hand out and get a decent in in several years
0: i will be talking to another collector from uh, dublin about this record (laughs) at length it it shall yeah yeah the magic the magic goes on and on Hmm?
6: you know like most things it'll someone will reissue it or whatever yeah and in the end you know it's not even about the for me, it's not even about the the, the object in a sense. I'm, I'm I'd be as happy to get a reissue, to be honest. If the music is that good, Jesus Christ, you need the record in your life, man. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean, that is that serious. Like it's mm-hmm. like food, you know. So yeah, but uh, you know, it was, <laughs> I just remember I went to the store uh, literally a, a week ago. I went to New York to to it was the two you know the two coasts were the still the parts of the country that weren't, um, you know dangerously high levels of COVID. And so I had some business in New York and I went and I went with Will to the store and I saw the guy Travis from the store and I was like, you know, it's good to see you again. And he was like, yeah, I remember you. He was like, I was like, oh word. And he was like, you're the guy that bought the Francis Bebe record. (laughs)
4: He
6: was like, I haven't seen that record since. Uh He was like, it was too good. And I was like, yeah, it was. So, Yeah. Happy to be able to drop that one. That's incredible. Yeah. I've been working on this. Uh, I've been working on this Jamaican documentary. I can't say too much about, except
0: just a little bit.
6: Yeah, with any luck, you'll, everybody will be able to see it at some point soon. Yep. But as part of the project, um, obviously, we spent a lot of time listening to music and trying to understand. And I, uh, I remember when I was sort of starting out, this I was just like, you know, like, geez, I could do like a whole. To be, I'll tell you what, I, I was like, I could do a whole. Segment that of just Jamaican music, and then I was like, you know what though, I'm um, somehow in Ireland. Heads like uh, uh, like uh, the kind of music that we like. Uh, people are more informed about Jamaican music because of the UK mm-hmm. than they are yeah. uh, here in the West Coast. And uh, so I was like, yeah, right. And then everyone's going to be looking at you like, yeah, what's the big deal with that dude? But this record, I I just. This this particular song and this particular version, this junior Biles version, um of, of Chant Down Babylon. Um for me, yeah, there was many a tough night in the middle of the summer there, man. And this this song uh, <laughs> Held really happened. It did. It really did, man. I can't front. I mean really, really did. I was I was happy to we were cutting this film, we put this we put the music in a, 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 in the film and oh, every time the film, right? It's in the film, and 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 every time it would come up in the film, I, it, it would give me the same feeling like, yeah, we're like, you know, no matter how much fucking bullshit we're going through with this project or we're going through in this situation, we, we you know, the arc of justice will bend yeah. in our direction. So, Beautiful. Um, so, so I felt like it was there, and then when I played it, then I was like, yeah, that's the proper ending, but then I was like, you know what, mm-hmm. dude, I don't know. There's a whole other side to this story, too. So I had to play Fuck the Police by Jay Dilla.
4: Yeah.
6: yeah. Uh, <clears throat> love Dilla, man. I pulled a few Dilla things to drop on there just because mm-hmm. I did spend some time. I have spent some time over the past few months. Yeah. It was weird. Like, it started off, you know, the first few weeks of lockdown, I remember very well, it was all about Alice Coltrane and Pharoah Saunders and yeah. get grounded, you know, just take this as a blessing. Yeah. Let the universe take care of it kind of music and then yeah, by July it was straight fuck the police music every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: but uh, back to that yeah. Um, yeah. What, it, yeah. No. What, what how would how would he feel about now, do you think, um B or what's his? How long has it been now? How long has 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 what been? Since It, died. Uh two thousand six, so it's fourteen years. Okay. Jesus. You know,
6: it's I'm, a funny thing, man, like uh, you know, even the other day a friend, a great artist called Ernesto Llorena, uh, uh, uh text me, are you at the house? Yeah. Say, I'm up here at this graveyard, man. I'm trying to find Dilla's grave. Oh, with your photo. Yeah. yeah look, I mean, he he's using my photo as a, yeah. a right
0: yeah. Amazing it's photo.
6: Like, I'm out here standing in the middle of Forest Lawn, and, and I, I think I'm seeing it, but I, I can't find it. You know, mm-hmm. how will I know it's his? And, you know, and so I'm down on the phone, like, yeah, okay, no, so if you're seeing that, then you need to go to the right more and go down the hill a little bit, you know, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, his, he's, the legacy is very alive. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's never a, you know, there's never a day that goes by that where, you know, you won't, you know, sometimes NPR uses, like, instrumental hip-hop from mm-hmm. the kind of 1000s now as kind of bumper music, Yeah, and you'll be listening some middle of the day show about business or some nonsense and <laughs> in the middle of it here comes you know <laughs> like some slum village instrumental or whatever yeah. um yeah There isn't the day goes by I mean he, there's somebody who had a big impact oh yeah
0: the game changer
6: yeah so you know I think it's one of those
0: ones it's a
6: yeah, it's a it's a it's a honor to you know to have any association with the name at all. But then yeah. you know, we, you know, actually i have met the guy and hung out with the dude a little bit, whatever it was, you know, made photos with the guy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it was even you know, it's, it's goofy cause like I don't know, it's the same mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, like I mean I'm at Tupac too. I'm at Biggie Smalls or whatever. But yeah. when you meet these people, you don't think like, you know, I mean, Tupac, I think Tupac's image is probably, I mean, it's kind of, he's not quite on Bob level, but it's definitely in the same division. You know what oh, I mean?
0: Same division. More, yeah, right.
6: You know, it's it's more like Bournemouth and Bob is like,
0: <laughs> I don't want to even say one of the big clubs. <laughs> <laughs> Choose your club bed. carefully, <laughs> sir. Why
8: you not say Chelsea?
6: Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but, <laughs> yeah, not Chelsea.
6: But, um, you yeah, know, but I know what you like, mean. You know, the the,
0: the yeah. super, super top Premier League, yeah,
6: yeah, man, and and you know, like you know, I, I did photos that I didn't even own that went straight to the label. I the two people, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, the, death is a death has a, a very interesting way of explaining what happened before.
0: Yeah, right, Jesus, <laughs> um, on that bombshell, wait, You're they so, say, no, it's so true. it's so true. go on, explain. And yeah. Nito
6: was there the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Candido right. was there the whole time for 99 years.
0: Yeah.
6: And now, yeah, he's sure. Not there. The entire span it, you know, of
0: the whole story.
6: I, I don't know about you, but I thought Tony Allen, we were going to have Tony forever, man. Mm-hmm. Tony, like, right. talked, the way Tony played drums, Yeah, in terms of, like, how much was happening, considering it, mm-hmm. how little it looked like he was doing. Yeah. I incredible. mean, that was most impl- He would just go, and he would kind of do it, and then he would finish. And then you'd be just like, did he just fucking destroy the hell out of this (laughs) drum set? Like, And he's just standing around having a drink, and it's Tony Allen. You don't even realize, man, the man is almost 80 years old. Mm -hmm. Then one day, he's not there. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, like, whoa, that was – we were very honored. I mean, you know, Tony Allen came to my house. Right. You know, it's kind of like – in Limerick. <laughs> oh right. Yeah, on the tour, okay. <laughs> Tony Allen wasn't in my house in LA. Tony Allen was in my house in, in my dad's house in Limerick. <laughs> Tony Allen on the Dublin Road in Limerick. Can you imagine? <laughs> but uh <laughs> you know, and Observing now I'm not limit. <laughs> you know <laughs> he's well, I tell you this, man, you know, I, I, I've 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 seen some I've seen some musicians in my time and yeah. what he what he what he brought to the to the kid. Um, yeah, there's, you know, Wilson Dasnev is the Brazilian drummer of the same. It's a very specific thing, but then he's able to do it in a way that, you know, many, many, many people have imitated. Um, but when you hear the cat that invented it, it just makes more, it's just a, a different level of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he really, you know, there was very few people alive that, you know, they they say Gio Gilberto, my friend Danny you always says that Gio Gilberto and Tony Allen were the two guys that a whole genre of music came out of their rhythm, mm-hmm. the rhythm of their bodies, mm-hmm. and that's that's very very rare. And uh, and maybe you could say the same thing about Dilla. I don't know, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but like uh, just
0: created a sound world that is an entity in itself. World, like opened up a portal, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
6: the rest of us were just like, "Oh my God, we never knew this was here," you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, and
0: <laughs> you know what I mean, like for real. Yeah. And, <laughs> but uh, that's it. That's and, that's uh, the trip, right? That's the musical trip.
6: Yeah, and it was there. He was right in front of us the whole time. Yeah, and then eventually, you know, he got other places to be. He got other other rhythms to
0: invent. Yeah, and uh, you know. Yeah. Beautiful.
6: And all of it, we to even, uh, you know, breathe the same air as him. You know.
0: I think that's a beautiful place to bring the conversation. Um um uh B. Thank you so much. Uh there's no better point to leave it than the big thing, death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um we've you've definitely paid some due praise uh in the last uh, um hour or two. Um and I really appreciate you taking the time to do that and putting these beautiful sets together um, I'm going to uh, play out with uh, the, the fourth of those sets and that's the end of uh, number episode number 31 of Make Mean Island thanks to you all for listening thanks to you our patrons uh, for the uh, contributing to the making of these islands thanks to Ian Codmore on production and thanks once more uh, to Maeve Higgins and to B Plus thanks B Woo.
6: thank you brother <laughs>
5: do we encourage or condone violence against law officials? Uh, it's for you. It's for you. Uh, yeah, it's for my street niggas. Feel it. On the count of three, say fuck the police. One, two, three, fuck the police. Yeah, fuck them. Applaud any niggas. Cause we could lose a few of them. We got enough of them. My niggas on the corner, they be dodging and ducking them. Bitches getting pulled over, end up fucking them, for real. And see now we got these fake cops. They thought he had a gun. Made a mistake, cops. I hate cops. Turn on the TV. Is this another cop busted for no illegal business? They out of control. They out of their minds. They pulling you over. They hopping inside. Just know you got drugs and know you got guns. Ain't it know when they mad when they can't find none? Stupid. Don't you know they get in at the stash box? The E B in they need a key to get in it. In the offended people suck my balls All oh, y'all off the ball get stupid dawg Don't hold back, don't let go Don't say damn just say whoa Get it up, Mojo ayy hey. Mojo baby, fill it up Hey, hey. Uh. So on the count of three say fuck the police One, two, three, fuck the police Yeah don't you know what's dangerous in these streets? Don't you know what's dangerous of us? Grow deep nigga Fill up the whole Jeep, nigga. Hill with the flows and there with the beats. Hill in the rover. It's over homes, the whole deeds. The reason we hold things, is no peace in the streets with the police in the streets. Yo, it's cough the old niggas though for O's and keys. It's more than the beef with the 5-0. In the streets with the 5-0. It's a game of survival doom. Now tell me who protects me from you? I got people who buy tax and weed from you. And all I niggas see in the news. It's cop corruption. Niggas getting popped for nothing. And niggas didn't and the cops pull out glocks and buff. Y'all need to get sharp enough, cause we don't hold back. We let go, we don't say damn, we just say whoa.